Attention, everyone. This is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the death. And welcome to episode 186 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the second episode of October 2016, and our Daikaiju discussion episode for the newest installment in Toho's Godzilla series, this year's Shin Godzilla. At the moment, I'm here all by my lonesome in the studio, but that's because I'm breaking from the standard format of our discussion episodes. Because the release of Shin Godzilla has been such a monumental experience for kaiju fans around the world. In this episode, we'll be diving into the details of that release from Japan to the shores of America. And, of course, that's thanks to Funimation Films securing the distribution rights for this side of the globe. Now, Shin Godzilla occupies a really unique position in the Godzilla series. And, I honestly, I really want to try and echo that uniqueness in this episode's general structure. So uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently this time. I had some really cool opportunities to speak to several people about this film, and uh, I've sort of compiled that into this mega episode. Hopefully it's not too much to digest for you guys, and you will really enjoy it. And of course, since we are talking about a brand new movie that I'm guessing a lot of people out there have not seen yet, I definitely need to start the whole thing off with this. Now hear this, now hear this, we have massive spoilers ahead, I repeat, massive spoilers! That's right folks, this is going to be a spoiler-inclusive episode, so if you have not seen Shin Godzilla, I definitely would not suggest you listen to this episode, in fact, just go ahead and save it for another time, unless you really just want to know everything about it. Proceed with caution, because once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussion. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. Uh, Now, normally, this is where I would say thanks to an online tool I've randomly assigned, yada, yada, yada. But this is a movie that exists in a very unique point in time for kaiju fans and the kaiju cast because this is the first time japan has produced a godzilla film while the kaiju cast has been in existence in march 2015 toho announced that hideaki ano and shinji higuchi were going to team up to direct shin godzilla shin godzilla was released in japan on july 29th 2016 and immediately was very very well received in fact While it was quite polarizing for Godzilla fans in the U.S., a lot of Japanese people really seemed to like it. And even now, at the end of October, it has only just really gotten out of the top 10 for box office results since the end of July. That's, like, incredible. Anyway, Shin Godzilla has done really well in Japan, and at Comic-Con earlier this year, Funimation Films announced that they had secured the distribution rights. And of course, lots and lots and lots of American fans have been buzzing about this film ever since that was announced. Now, hopefully you are able to see Shin Godzilla in a theater near you, or at least somewhere near you. 
Now, the Kaiju cast was part of two different screenings here in Portland. The first was just sort of a get-together where we met up at a theater and uh, we took a big picture afterwards. That was a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody who came out for that. We're going to hear a little bit of what people thought of the movie later in this episode. And then the second screening I went to was at the Hollywood Theater where I actually introduced the film. And so what I wanted to do was basically share that introduction with you. Well, a modified version of that introduction, specifically for the Kaiju cast. So for those of you who were at that Hollywood screening and are also listening to this episode, bear with me as I once again sort of recap a very brief history of Godzilla. This was sort of tailored to people who might not be big fans of Godzilla, so I sort of included a bunch of different information. So from 1954 to 1975, we call that the Showa era, as most people know. And the prominent directors there in that era were Ishiro Honda and Jun Fukuda. Now, these directors had a very special relationship with their special effects directors. And the big, of course, special effects director that everybody should know is Eiji Tsuburaya, essentially the world's pioneer in Japanese special effects. And, of course, Terry Oshinakano, who studied under Tsuburaya and then took over at Toho after Tsuburaya's death. Now, those directors and special effects directors created such, you know, classic special effects films from Toho, like King Kong vs. Godzilla, Godzilla vs. The Thing, Destroy All Monsters, Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. The Smog Monster. That was a great time for Japanese special effects. And there was a nine-year break, essentially, where Godzilla wasn't around, and Toho wasn't making a lot of special effects films. But when Godzilla came back in 1984, they really kicked off a new series called the Heisei Era, the most prominent directors from that era were Kazuki Omori and Takao Okawara. And both of those guys worked very closely with Koichi Kawakita, who was another special effects director, really pioneered his own style of effects in the Heisei era. And of course, we got a lot of really incredible movies like Godzilla vs. Biollante, King Ghidra, Mothra came back. You know, the, the Heisei era was a great time. We also got Godzilla vs. Destroya. Now, I want to make a footnote here at the end of 1995. We're going to come back to that in a second. Again, there was a break. America had their chance to do a Godzilla movie. Japan picked up the ball again in 1999 and started a brand new series. Some of the directors from that series would be Masaki Tezuka, Shusuke Kaneko, and Ryuhei Kitamura, who worked with a myriad of special effects directors. But the one I want to talk about in particular is Shusuke Kaneko and his work with a very popular Japanese icon in 1995, who maybe wasn't as popular as he could have been. We're talking about Gamera. So Shusuke Kaneko directed Gamera Guardian of the Universe in 1995, Gamera 2 Advent of Legion, and Gamera 3 Revenge of Iris. That was 95, 97, and 99. For all those three movies, which were incredible films, and if you have not seen them, I highly suggest you check them out, the special effects were directed by... Shinji Higuchi. Shinji Higuchi is an amazing special effects director. When we talk about Eiji Tsuburaya and him pioneering special effects, I really truly believe that Shinji Higuchi is sort of the next evolution. In an era where modern special effects are so advanced, he found a way to make tokusatsu, the classic stuff, you know, where you're using miniatures and guys in suits and explosions and good camera angles. He found a way to make that really work in a very, very believable way in the 90s. Now, unfortunately, he wasn't involved in Godzilla's Millennium series, 
But in 2012, he teamed up with Hideaki Anno, who is the director of Neon Genesis Evangelion. And sort of like an uber, super crazy cool kaiju nerd in Japan. Now, those two teamed up and they basically put together a killer exhibition uh, that was on display in Tokyo called Tokusatsu, where they had, you know, miniatures and artwork and like actual screen used props. They also had like sort of the highlight, one of, well, one of the two highlights was a miniature city that you could kind of walk around in a little bit. You could actually get your picture taken in it. It looked fantastic. Additionally, the other highlight was a short that they made called A Giant Warrior Descends on Tokyo. That is available to watch online on Vimeo. I'll include a link in the show notes to it so people can check it out. That was Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi working together in what looked like a perfect marriage of CGI and practical effects. Mostly practical effects, though, which was pretty awesome. Then... A couple of years ago, Attack on Titan, which was a huge anime in Japan and really did create a worldwide phenomenon, Shinji Higuchi did the special effects for the live-action version of Attack on Titan. And then in March of 2015, it was announced that Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi would team up once again to create Toho's brand new Godzilla movie and, of course, the movie we are talking about in this episode, Shin Godzilla. So there you go. That was my introduction, pretty much. I also showed some cool promotional stuff, but that just doesn't work in an audio format. So we're going to go ahead and move on to the next segment of this particular episode. So we've talked about the director and the special effects director. Now let's talk a little bit about the cast. Shin Godzilla has a huge, huge cast, but uh, they have a, a sort of core cast of characters, the ones that are our main, main actors. There's Hiroki Hasegawa, who played Rando Yaguchi. I had never really seen him before, except in Attack on Titan. He was sort of like the top Titan killer. Additionally, because she was also in Attack on Titan, Satomi Ishihara played the U.S.-born Kayako Ann Patterson. Now, those two were sort of our biggest characters in the movie, but there were a ton of other people, specifically uh, Yutaka Takanuchi, who played Hideki Akasuka. And then one of the crowd favorites is uh, Mikako Ichigawa, who played Hiromi Ogashira. She's the one that I think looks like a Japanese Aubrey Plaza. Oh, and if you're looking for familiar faces, the Minister of Health, Labor, and Welfare was played by Kanji Suda. Now, that's the guy who was Toru's father in Gamera the Brave, and he played Tadashi's father in the Great Yokai War. Also, if you've seen The Grudge, he played Katsuya Tokunaga. Other familiar faces you may have recognized from the movie, the Minister of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology was played by Toru Tezuka, who also played Karate, who was the game programmer in Gamera 3, and also he was in Cutie Honey and Uzumaki. He almost corners like the weirdo Japanese actor. And there were a couple of other faces as well, primarily the Chief Cabinet Secretary, who was played by Akira Emoto. You may have recognized him as Major Akira Yuki from Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. And the Integrated Chief of Staff, who is Masao Zaizen in the movie, was played by Jun Kunimura. Now, he was Major Kamuro in Godzilla Final Wars, and he played Kubal in Attack on Titan. He was also Boss Tanaka in Kill Bill, and he was in Audition and each the killer, and he was in freaking Hard Boiled and Black Rain. 
which I never knew before looking up his IMDb page. Anyway, there were a ton of other people in the film, most of which I did not recognize, but the main cast I thought was pretty strong for the film. Additionally, we should talk a little bit about the soundtrack, and we'll actually play a song from the soundtrack right now. Now I'm playing this off of the American release of the Shin Godzilla soundtrack. This is FOB underscore 01, which I know doesn't help anybody, but on the Japanese soundtrack, it's called the Taba Strategy.
is from composer Shiro Sagisu, who was also the composer for Neon Genesis Evangelion and Attack on Titan. Now, his style for this film is very interesting, and I'm going to say this a little bit later. I find it odd that it has such a drastic shift in tone because a lot of the soundtrack is his music. Some of it is already from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Some of it appears to be or sounds to be like it's modified, like they've added extra stuff to it or, you know, just basically compounded on their original sound. But there are a few tracks that I think might have been written for this film, the Taba strategy being one of them. Another one is called Black Angels. They're amazing tracks. They're really cool and they, they sound really bombastic. And I like the stuff that seems like it was written for this film. But another thing about the soundtrack is they've also included these classic Akira Ifugabe songs. So you'll get Godzilla Comes Ashore and the Battle in Outer Space theme and the main titles from Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla from 1993. It really does span Akira Ifukabe's kaiju soundtrack portfolio. Now, I took a little bit of issue with the audio because I found that it really sort of distracted me from what was happening in the film. Now, we'll talk about that a little more with the crew in the actual discussion. But I wanted to give an example right now of what we heard in the movie versus what I wish would happen in the movie. Okay, so you'll hear this is the mon-oral representation, and this is when Godzilla is sort of going through his first evolution. Now, clearly, it's a classic. You know, this is a Fukubei's pounding, driving score from the very first film. But the fact that it doesn't sound new, the fact that it doesn't sound like some of the other tracks in the film kind of bothers me a little bit. It just didn't have the impact that I wished it would have had, especially during this scene when Godzilla's going through his evolution. I would have rather it sounded like this. Well, you wait for the change. impact would have been much more significant if we had heard something like this as Godzilla was going through his transformation and then really started banging on Japan. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's that's really the only issue I took with the score elements that... Uh, that were from Ifukube's library, essentially. And then the fact that, you know, reusing cues from other soundtracks, you know, we heard that that was done in Godzilla vs. Gigan, obviously, the entire score from Godzilla vs. Gigan. But, you know, that was at a time when it made kind of financial sense for Toho to just say, we're going to go through the library that we have here from our other films and basically create a soundtrack without having to pay for uh, anyone. I don't know if they had to do like royalties or anything like that, or how that uh, business side of things works for Toho, or for what happened here with Shiro Sugisu and Shin Godzilla. Now, I know this seems like we're jumping all over the place a little bit, but uh, I'm sure you're going to hear comments a little bit later from different uh, listeners and different members of the Kaiju Corps talking about what they thought of the soundtrack. But let's go ahead and move along. As I mentioned, this movie opened up in America. 
its official opening date was October 11th, but there were a couple of premieres that happened. Of course, there was one in Los Angeles, California, but there was also a premiere that happened in New York during New York Comic Con. And here to tell us a little bit about that event, please welcome John DeSantis. How you doing, Kyle? Glad to be here. I'm good, man. I am curious, though. Tell me a little bit about the Shin Godzilla premiere that happened in New York. Well, it was a really, really fun time, actually. I think Funimation put on a very nice, modest event for fans. wasn't exactly like the L.A. premiere, as far as I know, but it, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of East Coast Godzilla fans there. You know, when we got there, we were shooting B-roll for Sci-Fi Japan, Chris Polio and I, and uh, just kind of like doing that little video that you saw in my review and my coverage. First 75 people in attendance got that cool shirt. They were handing out posters. They had the souvenir tickets and drink vouchers, but they really did a good job, I think, for the fans. And it was really nice of them to stage that. It was, it was just all around a fun experience to, to just go there. It looked like a lot of fun. Like I saw uh, several photos and I even saw some of Fenimation's actual video footage from the whole premiere aspect of it where they had the, you know, the carpet with the backdrop on it and stuff. And then they had the inflatable Godzilla guy. Well, yeah, it was the wrong Godzilla, but it was still a fun touch. It was just a fun time, a very fun affair all around. Just a way to just go relax and just have some fun and see the new movie like that on the big screen. That is fantastic. So how was the reception from the crowd just in general? Well, I'm always kind of careful to note things like that because sometimes your perception can be painted by the experience of what you're having. Final Wars was a, a notable uh, yeah. <laughs> a, a notable, um, example of that. But um, either way, by the way, the reception seemed to be really, really positive. All the G fans we talked to really liked it. You know, obviously, I'm on the scale of liking the movie more than, than disliking it. I think it's got a lot to offer. I do think it's very flawed at times. But it was funny because sitting there for the New York premiere, we just had in Bethlehem, PA, we had screenings the last week and I hosted them and, you know, did introduction to the movie and kind of primed fans and the general public, whoever was there to watch on what to expect and how to watch this movie. And I thought I was really going to get sick of it, like seeing it like six or seven times. Yeah. But I actually ended up enjoying it more and more. And it's just one of those strange things. I knew it was going to be a very polarizing Godzilla film. But I think overall, the reception was very positive. And I think it was because it was so, so different. I mean, obviously never seen a Godzilla movie quite like this one. I just think because they went in such a drastically different direction, whether or not you as a fan like the direction that they went in, I just think that that, you know, 60 plus years of the character... They took that risk to kind of really go into that drastic territory. And I think it paid. Well, I mean, obviously it's paid off for them. Definitely, but, uh, definitely has paid off for sure. Especially, I mean, literally financially paid off. For sure. I mean, the amount of money that the movie's made is pretty staggering, you know, considering it's a Japanese Godzilla film and what the profit margin, like just comparing it 12 years ago to the Millennium series it's staggering. It's kind of mind boggling at times, to be honest with you. Oh yeah, man. The attendance is like not even in the same galaxy as the millennium films. No, for sure. It's um, quite well and above. So it's just one of those things. I mean, regardless of how you feel about it, the movie has struck a chord, at least with its Japanese audience. And I have specific feelings as to why I think that is, which I did cover in my review, but you know, it can mean nothing but good things for the character. 
I mean, as long as we go forward, as the character is going to move forward, people are going to be interested in the character. You know, I personally don't want to go back to the barren wasteland that was 2005 through 2013. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. And I think this is literally a breath of fresh air for this franchise and also sort of a breath of life, too, because I think this opens it up for a lot of people to come in and basically, I'm assuming, pitch to Toho their idea of the Godzilla movie they want to make. And like Toho is going to be a lot more receptive to ideas that aren't, you know, fitting that the classic formula, you know, well, that's true. I also think though, that there has to, at some point, like I, I really do truly feel that this movie is good as it is, as a, as like a one shot, kind of a unique, just cast iron one shot of Godzilla, like a, a, a different Godzilla. But um, as it is, I really can't imagine this particular Godzilla fighting another monster, to be honest. My idea is I'm just basically thinking like longevity of the franchise, where do you go from here? Obviously, they're doing the anime movie next year, but you know that they're going to make another live action Godzilla. I think the problem becomes like where in Shin Godzilla's success, where are they looking as far as how they can kind of intellectualize the success and just say, okay, well, what worked with this movie? Why did people take to it? Right, and, right. Finding the markers that you'll say, okay, well, we should do that again. Like, what is it that's going to make Godzilla popular and financially, you know, feasible throughout the coming years? Indeed. And obviously there was a report that Toho posted, I guess, that what they thought was going to be something like a 14% drop in revenue now, thanks to this movie. And uh, there was another movie, and I'm sorry if I can't recall the name of it right off the top of my head, but those two films basically boosted their their uh, profit margin. So Toho is obviously very happy with this film. I think all that needs to happen is they need to really just think about, okay, why was this movie so well received? Where was it good and where was it bad? And where can we just take the positive aspects and move forward with the series? I'm not so sure that their CGI is at the point just yet where we can do a convincing monster fight. I think going back to Suitmation, at least to some larger degree, would probably really benefit the series going forward. Because I think that the best moments of CGI in the film were actually the destruction scenes, the buildings collapsing and stuff. I mean, those were really, really well done in a way that you really can't get a lot of times with miniatures, unless like, you know, you build a building that's 150 meters tall, miniature brick by brick and like little glass panels. But, you know, I, I really hope that that's what they do. I hope they take everything that was positive about the movie and just kind of don't make bad decisions going forward as far as like what to do with, with the character and, and the franchise. Like you, I want to see that marriage of like practical effects with digital effects. And I want them to say, yes, we can do that, as opposed to going full digital. I also thought that a lot of the CGI looked fantastic in that movie. And definitely because I already sort of dole out a fairly strong dose of... Um, of suspension of disbelief for these Godzilla movies and other kaiju films that walking into Shin Godzilla, I didn't see anything CGI wise that bothered me. Like none of the CGI really ever pulled me out of the movie. There's a couple of things where like the motion got a little weird, but he was moving faster than he normally was. But aside from that, like I was cool with most of it. You're actually right on there. I think that by and large, the CGI for the final form of Godzilla was 
was very well done. The uh, the first form, the the rubber chicken Godzilla. At times, I I felt that that I was like, ah, we still haven't gotten quite there. I, I just I feel like honestly, they they have a real problem doing fluid motion in CGI, and I think that's probably why this Godzilla doesn't really move around that much. I really feel like that stiff demeanor that the final version has. Which, I mean, you know, if you want to say it was an artistic thing, that's fine. But there's plenty of times in the movie where he actually does start moving a little bit. But one shot when I noticed in particular was right after he got done unloading the heat ray for the first time. And he kind of walks to the station and freezes or stones over or whatever, like goes into statue form or hibernation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this one particular shot from behind him where he's walking and... It was a little awkward for me. Like I, there was a lot of shots that were pretty awkward, but I mean, I, by and large, I feel like for being, you know, the first CGI Japanese Godzilla movie, I feel like by and large, it was more success than failure. However, like I said, I, like you, would love to see Supermation come back or at least the best aspects of Supermation because I feel like that's the one thing that can still be done well. I don't think you can replace practical effects in a movie. I mean, like I know like a lot of people have opinions on it, I felt that that was the one thing that took me out of Jurassic World as much as I love that movie was the fact that there wasn't like an abundance of, of any practical effects. I think there were a couple of raptor heads that were stationary and then augmented. And then there was obviously the the um, the Apatosaurus head was was a live effect or a practical effect. But, I you know, I really want to see that come back. I said this to my friend David, you know, David Davko. No, nope, never heard of him. Yeah, never. Yeah. So I was yeah. talking to him about it and I said. When Higuchi was announced as the special effects director, my brain, my heart, everything about me just was kind of like, did this whole yes pose because of the work he did with the Gamera series. And I thought it was like crazy that he wasn't sort of, I don't want to say the next Eiji Tsuburaya, but I, I thought it was crazy that he wasn't brought on board at Toho to do special effects. Uh, so when he was announced for the special effects director of this film, and sort of the nebulous title exchanging that was happening between him and Ano, I was really excited. So I was really also surprised when we found out that it wasn't going to be a dude in a suit. And I still want to see that perfect Godzilla movie, right? I still am looking for someone to be able to say, I'm going to touch on the classics. I'm going to touch on the history. I'm going to make the Godzilla movie that Kyle wants to see. <laughs> because I really do think that Shinji Higuchi could do that if he wanted to. But that's clearly not the movie that Hideaki Anno wanted to make. Well, and it is the director's film. Like you said, regardless of the, um, as you called it, the nebulous uh, exchanging of titles. You know, I had that same reaction with Higuchi. And I was... Very surprised myself that he didn't go more supermation wise, but we don't know if that was a mandate from Toho. We don't know what his budget was. We don't know if that's what Ano wanted and how much freedom he had. Like it, it would have been really cool because to me, what makes Japanese special effects so unique and what makes Tokusatsu so appealing is the fact that these are miniature buildings and they are men in suits. And um, I kind of wish they would have went that way more with it. I don't feel like Higuchi has made his perfect Godzilla movie yet. I feel like if you asked him, he'd probably say the same thing. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, eventually I can get a chance to talk with those guys. I would love to pick their brains about the making of this movie. But yeah, man, thank you so much for telling us all about the premiere. And thanks for giving us your insights. Well, it was a pleasure, Kyle. And um, 
I look forward to hearing the episode and thanks for having me again. Big thanks to John for sharing his thoughts with us. Now, John and I were both at the Godzilla Final Wars premiere in Los Angeles back in 2004. And I think Funimation made the right call. They did what I suggested, not that they were listening to what I was saying, but you know, I didn't think that this movie needed a Godzilla 2000-esque release, you know, because Godzilla 2000 was kind of abysmal. There were people making fun of it a lot. You know, the theaters were more than just deserted. Like, nobody was going to the movie. It was just not its not really its time. But Shin Godzilla has taken the world by storm, kind of, in a way that uh, no other Japanese film that I can remember ever has. So I think Funimation was wise to take on this film because it had such a great buzz behind it. And while a lot of old school Godzilla fans, I guess, aren't really caring for this interpretation of Godzilla, it's pretty well regarded all over the internet. Now, as I said before, we were involved with a couple of screenings here in Portland, and I happened to bring a recorder with me for that first screening, and I decided that it would be a good idea to see what some of the people thought after the movie. All right, guys, I just got out of Shin Godzilla, and uh, there's a whole bunch of people right around here, so I'm just going to get some really quick thoughts, literal initial thoughts. I'm just going to start right here with my good friend Derek Cook from the Monster Kid Radio Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, brother. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm not exactly sure how to process what I just saw. How about you? There's a lot to unpack. There is a lot to unpack in that. I'm going to have to see it more than once. Don't know if I'm going to see it more than once on the big screen. Sure. But I think there's a lot to unpack here. Overall, though, I'm going to be honest with you straight up. I loved it. All right. I loved it. I really, really enjoyed the hell out of this movie, my friend. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. All right. I'm going to move along now. What did you think of the movie, man? And what's your name? Uh, I'm Henry, and it was pretty crazy. Like, wow. <laughs> it was it was odd to take in, right? Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of talking in the middle, but, like, overall, it was kind of necessary. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's necessary to extend the story. So did you like it overall? Yes. Okay. It was awesome. Cool. And what about you, Ben? I thought some of the special effects were pretty fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Is that the best thing you can say about it? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, when he actually got all mad because he got all blown up, I thought that was pretty spectacular yeah. what, what he uh, did at that point. All right. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> all right. What's your name, man? Uh, Taylor. Taylor, what'd you think um, of Shin Godzilla? Shin Godzilla was an interesting film for me to watch because I'm a Japanese major. Um, you know, I've studied Japanese film a lot. And if you look through like the history of Godzilla, he's always yeah. like the best Godzilla films tend to be metaphors for J Japan's experiences at the time. And this one's clearly a metaphor and uh, generally related to the Fukushima disaster and the Tohoku earthquake. Because it's drawing heavily on imagery from those, but it's also it's also interesting because they're showing kind of the bureaucracy and how it works. Like yes, there's that absolutely. moment, there are those moments where they're constantly saying. Uh, uh, sh can we commence the operation up the chain? And then they and they say yes, back down the chain. Yep. And Ooh, I thought yeah. that's that's really interesting. And it's a way to vent the frustration of the people, uh, because that's probably how it was during the Tohoku earthquake. Yeah, I actually was thinking about like as from an American movie viewer, we don't usually get that kind of thing we, that we see no, no. over and over again. They'll usually go. Yeah, that's enough. You know, we'll show it once to show how terrible the bureaucracy, the red tape is, mm -hmm. and then we'll move on. And, like, they just kept at it. And I think it's good because 
uh, I'm imagining that that's fairly realistic in Japan. Exactly, and it's probably what led to, you know, there was a huge amount of outrage over the lack of response to the Tohoku earthquake and the Fukushima disaster, as well as, you know, for, a long, for the longest time during the disaster, uh, they didn't announce the amount of radiation that was being released from mm -hmm. the Daiichi nuclear plant. And there, you know, they, they issued a lot of that with the, uh, they, they tackled a lot of that with this movie, like saying, oh, we don't want to cause a mass panic. Right. Things yeah, like, yeah, yeah. dialogue like that. Um, as for Godzilla itself, I love the creature design, like, because it's something new, but it still retains that Godzilla feel. And yet completely Com just disintegrates it. Yes, and yeah, completely, it, yeah. It's definitely because the guy who did this, Hideaki Anno, he's done uh, Evangelion's, what yep, his most yep. well known work. And you can definitely tell he's he's definitely been allowed a lot of creativity in this, and I feel that's that's kind of a good thing. Although I kind of want to see the guy do a straight comedy and see him still make it nightmare fuel. It was it was good. I enjoyed I enjoyed his comedic aspects of it. There were times where I like I think legitimately laughed at what was going on in the mm -hmm. script. Yeah. One thing I I really thought was jarring almost was like there's there's this part in the middle where it shows Godzilla just a pure destructive force, and it's honestly horrifying. I, you mean his first big giant when attack when he starts fir spewing this His fire. first giant attack when the when basically most of Tokyo is on fire. Yeah. That yeah. is a horrifying sequence. Definitely. And it's, definitely horrifying. it's not only drawing from, you know, the Tohoku earthquake and the Fukushima plant, but it's also drawing from World War II and the Tokyo fire bombings. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think this is... Uh, some people have said that this movie has some very serious socio-political like commentary yes, going on and absolutely. not just the bureaucracy thing but there's this whole thing right now with Japan some people in Japan want to rearm the country and yep. I'm sure that definitely played into the script yep, there's there's definitely uh, you know how how autonomous can Japan be and I mean the kind of the the movie's phrase words you know do as you like mm -hmm. um, are kind of like a message for that. Right on. Well, Taylor, thanks so much, hey, man. no problem. All right. I hope you enjoyed it. Well, it sounds like you did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. right. I, I'd recommend it for anyone who's interested in Japanese film, obviously interested in Godzilla. Godzilla fans will love this. Um, if you're interested in, you know, kind of general Japanese society and maybe even, you know, how disaster relief, this is a good film to watch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. Thank you. No problem. All right. How about you, Charles? Save it for you can save it for the podcast. Yeah, fine, fine. Can I ask you a question, Kyle? You can, yeah. Because I know you're going to talk about it on the podcast, but just general thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up, okay. but at the same time, this is so different from your standard Godzilla fare. It's, I'm just, I mean, I want to stammer over these words, but like the way I felt about the American Godzilla, the legendary pictures one, uh -huh. where it's kind of like, well, it was a Godzilla movie, but at the same time, it's just so divergent from what we've seen in the past right. with the series. I honestly believe that this is so divergent that I kind of am, upon first glance, having trouble lumping it in with the rest of the Godzilla series. I don't yeah. feel like it really belongs. However, I really enjoyed it. Uh, as I said before, I found myself laughing at some parts. I found myself horrified at some parts. I think the movie really did a good job on playing to what I would expect would happen in a real Godzilla attack. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely want to see it a few more times, for sure. So, a lot of times, I mean, I love when you guys break down a movie. I sure, love yeah. it. I'm a film score junkie. I love my film score. So, just overall, did you like the score? I liked about half of it. Yeah. I, I actually found mixed. the, um, I found, and I don't know how much is, this is going to get into this episode, but I actually yeah. found the use of the old school sounding music yeah. to be almost jarring at times. Yeah. 
And um, I don't know if it was just the presentation here because were you guys? Did you guys think that the movie was kind of almost being the audio was only coming out of the front of the screen? Like I yeah. didn't hear anything going on in the sides. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, it's not not necessary. I lived most of out. my life with uh, you know stereo and mono, so it's all good. But the uh, yeah, the soundtrack. I think there's definitely a bunch of stuff on that disc that I'm going to want to hear now. Now I can actually listen to the soundtrack because well, I've seen I, the movie. I've listened to the soundtrack. I've got it, and I've played it through a few times. And without context, it's kind of hard to really. You know, whatever. Did but they include the original Japanese uh, it, Godzilla tracks on there? there? There's some of that on there, and I feel like the CD is actually built more like a soundtrack to a video game. Okay. There's a lot of stuff that just kind of starts and then stops. Really? But then oh, I also okay. felt in this movie that that happened. The, the little action boardroom yeah. scenes. Oh, because I felt like they were, inter- they were interrupting things because yeah. you were moving, I, would, I don't want to say briskly moving from one scene to the next, but no, I mean, when you're talking about the scene, the <laughs> I mean, <laughs> come on. Well, when you're talking about the scene changes, yeah. it, it is quick, like, whoop, we're, we're out, you know, moving to the next building right. or whatever. So, okay. I don't know, I'm looking forward to listening to it and checking it out now. Because okay. that was my problem. I watched, when I saw GMK, I yeah. had listened to the score so much that I was sitting there watching and going, I know the song, I know this song, I know this song. <laughs> so, I don't want to do that for this movie. So, yeah, the score, I mean, there were times where I was really, really moved by it, yeah. and I thought it was really good, and there were other times where I felt like it was too... Um, obvious, like too overt, and I was like paying more attention to the soundtrack than I really wanted to. I thought it was inconsistent for me. Sure, because there sure. was moving Godzilla just tore the sh- just, yeah, things tore went down. the family-friendly yeah. stuff out of, yeah, anyway. You know, and he was talking about, you know, the fire and all that other stuff. You know, when Godzilla turns metal objects into basically liquid and makes them splash around him, mm-hmm. like the trains or whatever, Yeah. I mean, those were beautiful moments, but then you have the old school soundtrack come in and it just yeah, I love the old school. I I, but I did start like bouncing my head to the military theme, but at the same time, I did. I just kept thinking like it seems out of place. Yeah, and okay. I'm not trying to be overly critical of sure. it, but it did seem just like I didn't necessarily need that nod to the original. No, but but regardless, it didn't it didn't affect my enjoyment of the film. I really had a great time watching. No, it. Like I told you, man, I loved it. I really did. I right um, don't. I, I, I dug the hell out of it, and I'm going to let you go, because I can sit here and talk film score <laughs> stuff with you for hours, especially when it comes to kaiju stuff. We should do a show about that. Yeah, maybe we should start a podcast. We, we should. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Derek. There really is something cool about seeing a Godzilla film with a whole bunch of Godzilla fans. It's really, I don't know, there's this cool shared experience thing going on, and everybody's just sort of, there's an energy that you can sort of feel, especially if people are really enjoying it. We had a great time watching it that night. Uh, And also, you know who else was there? My son, Tiger. Now, a lot of people have asked me how he's been doing because he hasn't really been on the show. But I thought I would ask him what he thought about Shin Godzilla. I thought it was a very interesting movie. And, you know, I think I was telling you in theater that it was very different. It was a very different take on it. I thought that was was a really interesting choice. And I thought it was really, really, like, kind of bold. And, like, I liked... uh, I like the overall tone of the movie. I thought, like, it, it kind of, like, I don't want to say, like, realistic, but it kind of, it felt like they, they wanted to make things more realistic. I definitely felt like there was a heavy, heavy vibe of realism, especially like, like, when you talk about the reactions from the Japanese yeah. government. Yeah. And, uh, kind of the, and just, like, the overall feel of the movie. I'm, I think my biggest complaint about this movie was that, <clears throat> it was not the whole political theme. I actually liked that idea, because I, I mean, mostly just because I like political stuff in general, but... Uh, overall, I li- I didn't like the sound effects in that movie. Like I or like, the, when they were 
the overall use of old sound effects when they create like explosions and whatnot. Yes, I we did didn't talk n- much about that. I that bothered me because yeah. I I just thought like, okay, I can understand like using Godzilla's old roar, old music that's nostalgic that provides a nice theme to it, but using that with like modern military equipment that's just weird and it just like kind of took me out of that moment for for a little bit. But overall, this is a very interesting film. If uh, you want to see, like, there's this is obviously a brand new. I don't want to say reboot because that would imply that there'd be other films, but there probably will be other films. So I guess you could call it a reboot. But overall, this is a new film to a uh, potentially new franchise being built by Toho, and I highly recommend it because it is definitely worth checking out. Whether if you're a Godzilla fan, a movie fan, or just a fan of Japanese cinema, uh, you know it's a it's a it's a good film. Right on. All right, man. Well, thanks. Yep, my little guy's growing up, making his dad proud. Anyway, you know, there's no reason for us to not just go ahead and segue right into our discussion. So why don't you join us here in the KaijuCast HQ? So I am sitting here right now with my good friends, Martin Vavra. Hey there. Charles Babbage. Good evening. Sane Donahue. Cheers. And... Jeff Dean. Hello, everyone. And we are here to talk to you about Shin Godzilla, because we all went to go see it when it screened here in Portland, and this is an important film, um, as we've been talking about in this episode so far. I really wanted to get these guys' reactions to when they saw it. Like, before we get into that specifically, though, Martin, you were at the first screening, right? You were at the Tuesday night screening? Yep. Uh, And Charles, you were there, too? Absolutely. And then Sane, you and Jeff were at the Hollywood screening. Correct. Yeah. So what were your first impressions, Martin? I did not like this film. You did not like Shin Godzilla. Okay. (laughs) Elaborate, sir. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) Uh, I really have appreciated how the Godzilla movies have always found it, uh, that there was a story that they were trying to teach you a lesson on environmental concerns, building radioactive weapons, or, or a variety of different things. And this one was... Godzilla is punishing their parliament for being excruciatingly bureaucratic while also having maybe slipped a little bit of radiation into the bay. But that was that was <laughs> a, like tucked in underneath. He slipped the bay. Uh, I literally <laughs> I literally thought there was a moment where it was like, oh, my God, they just said it's going to be 15 days till Godzilla recharges. I think we're going to watch this in real time. <laughs> 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 All right. So, so was that, but was that the worst part about it for you? Was the, just the, all the, like the minutia of the bureaucracy, the red tape stuff, I, the, the, the and meetings, that's the, the dialogue? I know that that was what they were trying to do. And I heard that even discussed afterwards. And I get that that was meant to be a statement, but there was a point where I was like, you know what, guys, I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm going to hold this up against 2014 Godzilla in, in this way. While there are major flaws in Gareth Edwards' film and story and character, there is something that Americans can do in film, and that's pacing. And having the structure of pacing really move well. This movie never moved. It was glacial at best. And and that was the thing that really got me. Is that After a while, I was like, I, I got it, guys. Your parliament moves slow. <laughs> Your film moves slow. I I understand all of this well. And I wanted like a hero to rise to the occasion and was just going to like, we're going around this thing. And we're no, no, he did. I'm actually I completely disagree with not you, not but, in a, not in the way uh, I wanted to see yeah. it happen. But, <laughs> it was it was. But uh, like 
honestly, this movie, I completely disagree about the pacing. Mm-hmm. I think I actually, once it was over, I was like, whoa, that was, that was two hours. I was really surprised. But, I was too. I thought it was four. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, it did. It did. It felt so slow. <laughs> I was actually, I legitimately was surprised to find that it was a two hour movie. I thought mm-hmm. it, I thought it was the standard one, one and a half. Uh, Charles, you went to both screenings actually. I did. And yeah, the first I got to sit next to and meet, uh, Derek over at uh, monster kid radio for the first time. So that was oh, nice. Oh, dude. Yeah. Good but, dude. Uh, <clears throat> at any rate, I, I have to say, I, I'm a little mixed on the movie. I understand Martin's point of view. I think I liked it more than him. I mean, it is, admit, everybody's going to say it's Godzilla versus bureaucracy, but I think it actually was pretty decent. I'm, I, I'm with you, Kyle. I didn't think it drug on quite as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, you know, I, I kind of felt like, well, yeah, I guess this was two hours. You know, I mean, I wasn't sure. Yeah. It, was, it was what I expected. Um, but there were so many elements I did like about it. Uh, starting with uh, visually, I thought it looked great, you know, compared to what I was sort of expecting, you know, you know, you overseas, uh, in the past, digital effects have not always been the best. True. And, true. uh, these were top notch. There's some genuine moments that I, and I need to do some more research on this, but it looked like they just took tsunami footage and put Godzilla in on top of it. Um, it was really well done. Yeah. They absolutely were, I mean, playing that string hard. In that orchestra, you know, making sure that the people who are watching this movie in Japan related Godzilla to the uh, 311 disaster stuff. Yeah, Yeah. it was. I thought all of that was really well done. I like the evolution of the creature. Mm -hmm. That was something that I wasn't expecting. And I liked how that developed. In fact, I kind of would have liked to see more of that if that was that would be a complaint. I would like to have seen what. What the earlier, you know, forms were more completely, what the, uh, you know, more of what that evolution is, is like instead of just seeing these three stages that we see. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, that would be anyways, awesome. Yeah. I, I thought it was actually surprisingly, um, surprisingly good. And then I still have a lot of flaws that, you know, that, that I think Martin has already kind of covered a sure, lot sure. of talking. There's well, a lot of talking. So did, you saw it two nights in a row. I did. So did you have any, did you take anything away differently from the second night than you did from the first night? Uh, yeah, I actually kind of liked it a little better after I saw it the second night. I think part of that is, you know, where we don't have the benefit, I, at least I don't have the benefit of speaking Japanese. So I'm, I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading a movie that has got a lot of dialogue. So I felt like the first time, you know, I might have missed a thing or two. Uh, the second time, because I had already had sort of a, a you know, course on the primer yeah primer uh i think i think i caught a lot more and and really actually enjoyed it i think a little bit more that second time cool yeah now sane you saw it at the hollywood theater i did what were your takeaway what was your first impressions of this film as you walked out of the theater well i was certainly blown away like everybody else by how different it was now i can't say mulling it over the last week that i love this film Mm -hmm. i don't I don't hate it either. Um, it did achieve a level of realism that I don't think we've ever seen. Like as far as what a real world scenario is with this sure, yeah, idea yeah. With, a, with a kaiju rising out of the ocean and destroying a place. What I thought was fantastic, I actually, that night after I got home, I was discussing the movie with my girlfriend who doesn't necessarily have any interest in this sort of movie. But she was like, how is it different? How is it? And it's like, the one thing I can say is, A, they make Godzilla terrifying again. And 
that he was personalityless, and I think that was really important to this particular story. He wasn't a predator. He wasn't a guardian. He was no incarnation that we've ever seen, not even from the original 54 movie. He was literally a walking disaster. Right, yeah. Uh, with no personality. In fact, it's funny because I've listened to some other reviews and other other critics discuss what they like and don't like about the movies. And one person was saying, like, I just hated his eyes, has unblinking little beady <laughs> eyes. And it's like, no, that's exactly what makes this creature terrifying. It's the, it, it is vacant. It is empty of emotion. And uh, I kind of like that he was just this thing that walked and destroyed. He yeah, had no, yeah, yeah. no purpose. He wasn't punishing mankind, as which so often I hear in like reference to the metaphor of Godzilla. It's yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. he lot, yeah. literally was just this walking inevitability. He was just destroying for the purpose of destroying. Like, like, yeah, just because, just yeah. because almost like. He yeah. destroys because he exists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, much like a tornado or a volcano or any other kind of natural disaster just destroys what tiny, pathetic humans have built. Yes. And we place ourselves at such importance of this pinnacle of the masters of the planet. And uh, I like the idea of, like, being knocked down a peg to a certain degree. <laughs> now, really the triumph, the triumph of Japan in this movie is that they said... We we got this. We're going to solve it. Even though there was kind of like the, uh, spoiler alert, uh, the whole oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, America going to nuke Feel Godzilla. Feel free to talk, talk spoilers, yeah. actually. <laughs> Godzilla was going to get nuked by the United States and had given Japan a ultimatum. Like, we're doing this one way or the other. And I was like, no, get off our backs. We've got the situation handled. That's probably the more important message of the political kind of nature of this film. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, I got a whole bunch of those messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of them. There were. Um, will I watch this movie over and over again? Probably not. But it did deliver on one thing that I've always wanted in a Godzilla movie ever was the pal palatable sense of dread of this creature existing. Like, people don't know what to do. I mean, and that's kind of illustrated by the government and the bureaucracy used in this film. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's unprecedented. Nobody could understand it. And everything they were throwing at it was useless. That was a very cool thing to finally see on screen. I've always wanted. Awesome. So, awesome. So, Mr. Dean, you were at the Hollywood Theater screening. Second night it showed in Portland. What were your takeaways? I really liked this film. You know, it's very, very unique, probably the most unique Godzilla movie ever made. And I admire its riskiness to make a movie like this with this subject matter. Because so I think when you announce you're going to make a Godzilla movie, people assume what kind of movie it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and this is completely not what I think people assumed. It's not what I assumed it was going to be because I stayed away from the majority of, you know, the trailers and all the online news because I wanted to go in fresh without any, you know, anything spoiled for me. Good man. <laughs> so, um, that's how, that's how so there was a lot of things that surprised me, like, you know, the evolution of Godzilla. I didn't know that. So I was, you know, pleasantly surprised by that, but I enjoyed the movie. Um, I only saw it once. So I didn't see it a number of times to see if all the dialogue and all that stuff gets tiresome on repeated viewing. So I, you know, I don't know that. But for the initial viewing one time, I enjoyed it. I thought it 
only started to drag towards like maybe the last fourth of the movie. I kind of kind of felt a little bit impatient with that aspect, but I loved the look of Godzilla. And I agree with Sane and with other people said that, you know, with Godzilla being basically just like a force of nature, mm-hmm. um, that was kind of different for a Godzilla movie, of course, but I, I liked it and I loved his design. I thought the effects were good. Um, and, you know, I mean, I would recommend this movie to people. All right. Well, don't jump to the end of the discussion here. Okay. <laughs> not, not trying to wrap it up. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I got to go. So I'll see you later. <laughs> I actually wanted to touch a little bit on what you said about the risk that seems like this movie took risks for a Godzilla film, right? So in the, you know, after 1995, America made the TriStar Godzilla and Toho said, well, we're going to do this again. And so they decided to do, to launch the, the Millennium series. The Millennium series was supposed to be like I kind of liken what we got with Shin Godzilla to be what the Millennium series should have been. They were talking about directors coming in uh, and doing their own take on Godzilla. They didn't have to be tied to continuity. They didn't have to be tied to uh, anything. But what I'm imagining, this is all in my imagination right here. I imagine that Toho recognized that they were too involved with the movie the movies plural from the from the millennium series as we know from hearing stories of you know story development from the all 6 7 of those movies however many there are and i really hope that they recognize that they sort of did a disservice to the own franchise and being able to let these directors tell the stories that they wanted and hopefully they let shinji higuchi and especially hideaki ano run the run the production essentially without getting too mired in in notes right because i think uh what you saw in the millennium series was movie making by committee mm-hmm. yeah and they were kind of castrating the directors that may have had some real vision beyond gmk because that's the only one i can really say of that series that really stood out as being a completely separate entity yeah, so. and we know very well like what happened with Kaneko and Toho saying like no you can't do these monsters you got to do these monsters and et cetera, et cetera. just kind of to me that's this movie really I feel that newness and I feel that sort of like sense of whoa what's going to happen now what are they going to do with the next installment in the series what's going to happen there and it makes me excited uh because as much as I love the and I guess I'll just go into my initial thoughts. When I when I walked out of this theater, the, the first showing that I saw, that was my first viewing of the movie, and I didn't know how to think. I loved it, but at the same time, I knew that there was a lot to digest. And I specifically, uh, you know, talked for the few people outside the theater, which we'll hear in a little bit, but um. I went home and I thought about the movie. I literally sat in that couch over there and I stared at the wall and I just thought (laughs) about the movie. And I, if I thought of something, I recorded on my phone and I went back and looked at all my notes later. And sure, a lot of them were rambly and, you know, not fit for airing by any means. But I think this is one of the uh, most multi-layered Godzilla movies we've seen in so long. I mean, honestly, in the entire series, the first movie, the first film, the 1954 film, is obviously uh, the only one that this is kind of like, you know? This is, and I feel like this should be a standalone film. I don't think this just 
I, I you should not extend this, so, this story. Yeah. And, and, and Hideaki Anno doesn't want to come back for a second film, so I I think that's hopefully. Yeah, this being standalone, they, they agree. You know, I hope uh, they yeah. they choose absolutely not to standalone. It. This yeah. should be. Yeah, you do another Godzilla movie, you just skip. Yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah. You, st- you just sort of skip the origin story that you got out of this movie, and you. You start somewhere else. I just want to see other people's visions. If this was Hideaki Anno's vision of what he wants his Godzilla movie to be, I want to see other people come in and do that same thing. This really did feel pretty singular in its vision. I mean, I was I was impressed with that. I mean, it seemed like this is one, you know, or or at least a couple people on a mission. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it was certainly uh, more thoughtful than yeah. The this had a lot, as as you said, saying there's a lot of layers in this, even visually too. Yeah, you know, like. Uh, okay, so I just watched these things. So has anybody here checked out Neon Genesis Evangelion? When it came out originally. Yeah. So I had never seen it. All I'd seen was the robots. Like specifically, you know what I'm talking about, going yep. into things from another world and there's like a big giant EVA statue or whatever there. Uh, I I wanted to see more of Anno's work. And so I watched the first two films in the trilogy, which we can at some point, at some point in some time, we're going to get into a whole Evangelion Shin Godzilla Hideakiano thing. But after watching Shin Godzilla, I wanted to see these movies. Man, it, I mean, his, his sense of uh, visual panache and the way he likes things to move and the way he likes to frame, not just frame the stories, but also frame the visuals, really seems connected to Shin Godzilla. When I watched the Evangelion films, and again, I watched the first two out of the three, and they weren't they weren't the favorite things that I've ever seen. I didn't really really appreciate them that much, but I can appreciate them for what they were. And I know how massive Evangelion has been on uh, the impact Evangelion has had on pop culture. So I appreciate that as its own entity. So I wanted to also dip my toes into that. I don't know if I would ever go back and watch the whole show, but I can say that there are definitely some emotional vibes that can are like you can almost connect shin godzilla to evangelion oh certainly yeah uh the one thing i will say about evangelion that i kind of wish they had borrowed a bit for shin godzilla is the ambiguity at which in evangelion there's angels these giant creatures that they build the evas in the first place to fight and they're completely ambiguous of what their motivation is why they're on earth yeah what they're doing I almost wish they had that for Shin Godzilla. I, I will be the one that says I don't like his evolution. I, uh, I think the forms are neat, mm-hmm. but I don't like the Hidora like origin that they gave him, where he's microorganisms that become like condensed into a creature to form Godzilla. I've seen this movie um, four times now, yeah. and I still don't understand the <laughs> what they're... I don't even understand what they're hinting at. They're using words, like scientific words, which I'm hoping are actual scientific <laughs> terms that I've never heard before, that I don't have any sort of like... There, I think like there was one... I, I can't remember what it is, but there was one term they kept using over and over again, and I was like, I should look that up. <laughs> well, they, they keep using the term evolve... Mm-hmm. And uh, oh gosh, what else did they say? And they were using them interchangeably. And I, I, I don't know if maybe that was a uh, something that didn't translate from okay. you know Japanese to English, uh, because I've heard that like Shin obviously represents several things. It means God. Sure. It means but they new. Sh- they it did means that on true. Purpose, you know. But even in Chinese, I know that Shin means evolved. Mm-hmm. So that evolved to Godzilla, which is they were 
partially paying homage to that. But the one thing I can say about that is like, this is where the purist in me comes out. Uh, I could have lived with all the bureaucracy, all that, the way he looked, his new form, which I liked and don't like at the same time. But in a weird way, robbing him of being a prehistoric creature kind of bums me out. Kind of bugs the dinosaur fan. It does. It does. And Mm. mostly because there is something about him being a primordial life form that has come back to destroy the modern world really appeals to me and him being like an amalgamation of all life sort of kind of evolving thing. Yeah. The whole I, ultimate I don't really life like form it. thing. I yeah. didn't care for the ultimate life form. Thing, yeah. But... I'm not too keen on that. And even with the ambu- ambiguity of the last shot, which everybody has their theories on, um, I don't think it leads to a sequel. I don't think it's anything like that. Uh, I've always seen it or in the last week of digesting this movie as kind of a, those are tortured souls escaping him. Escaping. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> More than anything else. Like, All right. Well, we're breaking tradition for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is already a tradition breaking I, episode. I, I had I had actually assumed that those were the people that were supposed to be on that boat that was originally out there as if they were the last piece of the genetic material in the when it was all you're like so close to my theory yeah so mm-hmm. close to my theory however i wanted to say i read online this is an online theory to tie into what shin, uh what <laughs> shin? what shin was saying over here what sane was saying <laughs> your new name. uh the the tail right so mm-hmm. godzilla is the and this actually does tie in a little bit a little tiny bit to my theory about stuff in the movie but you see godzilla evolve from form to form to form to form and the next time, the, the end of the film, they say, we have to learn to live with Godzilla. Godzilla's final form that he's about to evolve into before he, you know, his next stage of evolution is in this theory. Those are the human Godzilla hybrids that are his next evolutionary next form, form so that he can coexist with humans. You know, terrorize I terrorize them. I'm not exactly sure. I, I love that that last shot of the tail. Not that I want to see a sequel to that, but I love the fact that it makes you think. So you don't leave the movie and just forget about it, right? Yeah. Because I've been thinking about that for the last two weeks, yeah, <laughs> and just kind of like how you know, kind of like powerful. It just keeps you thinking, and like there's not any right or wrong answer. You kind of can digest it you're, right you're pretty wrong about that part you think so no dude because around <laughs> just said there's no right or wrong answer so. um but yeah i mean I, I i like that last shot yeah me too so martin did you have a theory on uh on that because i i definitely want to expand on that i don't remember all of the jargon that was used scientifically i definitely remember and i don't know what's lost in translation as it was going through but i remember following it and then going uh, those words aren't really what they mean here, what you're doing and all of that. So, and then it kind of became really convoluted to follow how they were explaining it all. So th- that was just my own personal takeaway because it seemed like we very specifically went to see the tale in these very human forms. And the only thing that I could think of is like in the beginning, we had an empty boat with a bunch of people that were supposed to be on this thing. And, and I just like, I, I can't imagine us, you know, why why they would show us that unless this was. Except sure. it's only supposed to be one person. Yeah, that's Goro Maki. Yeah. So th- that's a pleasure craft. They say in the beginning of the movie. And yeah. again, wasn't there two I, people on this ship? No, I just it was the one. one. 
Oh, were, okay. So, so okay. Here's the deal. I've seen the movie a bunch of times, which means <laughs> I've been able to like really, really get T- what's take it all in, here. yeah, as much as I can. There are mm-hmm. still so many open-ended things in this mm-hmm. movie, you know, so many, so many questions unanswered. But uh, Goromaki was a scientist, as mm-hmm. they said in the movie, and his again, his as they said in the film, his wife was killed by radiation, and so mm-hmm. he hated radioactivity, hated nuclear energy, he hated everything about it. He also discovered this life form. They also say that. Mm-hmm. My theory is that Goromaki found the life form. He obviously had photos of, uh, of, or he had information about the area mm-hmm. where it evolved from eating nuclear waste. He tracked it to that location, basically signed his own suicide note, packed it away. And I think that Goromaki sacrificed himself to be food for Godzilla so that Godzilla in that form, the first form or the second form, whichever one it is for him, uh, he's basically allowed Godzilla to absorb his DNA, which then kicked off his next evolutionary state, which then is why I think he started walking towards Japan. The only thing that I wish they would have put in the movie was why he was walking Towards Japan. Why well, that's on the assumption then that Goromaki knew that this thing was going to evolve. I mean, I, and again, oh, I, I don't I, think that's an assumption, my friend. Did you see that gigantic thing? That honestly, he had I got to I want to watch it again. You, I want to watch the whole thing again because when it's on Blu-ray, know, we'll definitely have another re- uh, reading it. I it, there, it it is very easy to miss parts, and I'm sure I miss parts. Oh, it sounds yeah. like by the multiple viewers. Well, the, it's, the rapid yeah. fire. I mean, I've never read as many subtitles in yeah. a movie before. Right. So many. Right? And then they were throwing down the Chinese on top of that. And then they would put the <laughs> locations and the people's names down on there, too. And there was times where I'm like, what am I reading? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> for, for the record, that wasn't Chinese. That was Japanese. Yeah. Oh, was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just assumed so, that they would that they didn't need to put Chinese characters. Yeah. On there, so here's Japanese. here's what they do. So the Japanese characters are titles. So if they're big, giant characters on the screen then they're Mm -hmm. the titles so that's when at the very top of our translation screens we would get the translation that said general secretary aid of the interior to the prime minister you know or something or tokyo ward and that was and that was the japanese version this particular helicopter or this particular helicopter yeah bullets Mm -hmm. you know what they had so many someday i'm actually going to count them there were there were a lot of active characters in this film yeah i figured (laughs) i learned pretty quickly that you know all those Conference room seven of was that's part of the joke. It is of just like yes. you know the, the statement of how many yeah. every meeting they got to have they got to move to a different conference right. room. Yeah. yeah, so I kind of quit paying attention to what was on the top and just plus concentrated on all the the right. same people that that you see their title yeah. on the screen. Their title changes throughout the movie and they keep updating it as the movie continues. Yeah. So yes, absolutely part of Anno's humor there. Uh, There's a lot of humor in this movie. I thought it was funny. There I mean, was a there lot were, of stuff that good, I laughed out really loud at. Really dry, subtle, slow, funny. Oh yeah, it was certainly really barbed satire in mm-hmm. a lot yes. of ways. And and again, not even being residents of Japan or knowing oh, yeah, yeah. what their political system is is like. We can say it's semi-analogous to the UK or somewhere else with the parliament that like has 8,000 members and everything has to go through a million channels. And and the perfect example of that in the film is when they're getting ready to fire rockets on Godzilla (laughs) because the Gatling guns aren't doing anything. And they have to get three OKs before they're like, 
Yeah. The pilot can like open fire on him. Yeah. Well, it's not just three OKs. Yeah. They're they're asking the person next to him, who's then asking. It's a yeah. it's a game of telephone. They're going up, yep. but they're in the same room. Right. They have to ask three people to get to the prime minister, and then he responds, and then they all have to answer back. It's hilarious. Yeah, that is one of the complaints that I've seen from fans. Is like, yeah, kind of what you said in a sense, Martin, where you're like, okay, you show the bureaucracy. I get it. Whereas this movie is, uh, we are all Americans. But this movie wasn't made for us, you know, so like we can bitch and complain that that happened. But I honestly believe that Anno did that so that it would be more than just a throwaway thing. He's actually saying this is a freaking problem. Yeah. <laughs> this is how it would actually happen, you idiots. Well, it's how it did happen. Well, it during, does. It does. Oh, during 311. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. for sure. Yeah. The, you know, this is because you guys hit on it. I mean, this is what happened with uh the uh, the tsunami and fukushima and everything that's gone on from that i mean this is a a direct cinematic response to what's been happening ever since that oh, went yeah. down so um yeah this is as big of a joke it is is it's also really sadly accurate yeah you know so uh following sort of like three act structure stuff i don't know how this film fits into a three act structure but i'd say the turning point for that comedy and that you know, stab at bureaucracy is when Godzilla first attacks all the purple things come out of his fins and he kills that helicopter that has the prime minister. And, and like I said, I've watched this several times since we saw it in the theater the first time in those conference rooms where everybody's sitting down, not the big, like um, not a meeting room or something, but the, the, the spots where there's like, the circle of guys over here, mm. the table of guys over here, another table of guys over there, and they're all kind of comparing notes and stuff. One side of that room was all like the old guard that got killed in that, like every single person on that side of the room died within that helicopter mm-hmm. explosion. So what that basically said is like all these other people that are left over have to sort of pick up the pieces and move. You know, they said that in the film, obviously, but in addition to that, they also have no precedent. They don't have to worry about, like, who are they going to please in the government. They can actually start making stuff happen. And that's what – I thought that was a wonderful turning point in the movie. And I loved how that broke into the – like, we were talking about the U.S. was like, nope, we're coming in. We're going to destroy them with nukes. And then Japan's like, no, let us do this. We're going to take care of this. And they even called in a favor from the French prime minister. And I just, I thought it was great. I loved (laughs) that aspect of the film for sure. Um, But yeah, that's my, anyway, going back to it, that my theory was that he sacrificed himself and that Godzilla instinctually headed to Japan because that's where Goromaki was from. Mm -hmm. Anyway, did anybody else have any crazy theories about this movie (laughs) that they want to share too? (laughs) Me, I'm the only one. (laughs) All right. uh, So, well, let's talk about what you did like Martin. So I do want to say that this was a very beautiful film. I I think visually it was represented in the most excellent way. I, I think they did a fantastic job. I loved uh, the morphology that, that continued to happen with Godzilla. I loved the different forms. I loved the final form. I thought it was just, I thought it was neat. I thought it was daring. I thought a lot of that was... Uh, bold to just be able to do because it did it really did feel like it was a major departure from being a very traditional Godzilla and it didn't feel like it was something that was trying to pick up where 54 left off so which is completely different than every other absolutely. Godzilla film every other yeah. Godzilla film harkens back to that very first one and this well yeah this, yeah. this is a soft yeah. reboot this is yeah. not a sequel this is a complete and 
this is unlike every other movie because this one is not paying homage to the 54 movie. It is right. not acknowledging yeah. it. Every other movie has done that. It's not, yeah, it's not a remake of that film. Yeah. No, yeah. no. Yeah. I mean, they paid some tributes in a sense with the, like the soundtrack and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. that, and, and some of the sound effects, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. The thing I really liked about this movie is I think it's the perfect companion piece to the first film in that, like, you know, the first Godzilla is a product of the time, Japan, 1950s, the fears, the anxiety of Japan, 1950s. This film is a product of, I mean, you could call it dated, sure, but people will go back and look at this film, I think, and see like this is, you know, a comment on Japan 2016. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think this is uh, honestly too, I I think this film shows that Japan is capable of making a completely valid film, like a, a really good film that has really good structure, has really good characters in it and and looks really good it it is able to compete special effects wise and everything else with anything else that's out oh, there with, for modern cinema for for modern cinema right. and that's this this film does not look like it's 10 years behind everything else that we're doing absolutely this this you know so um you know other than my complaint that i had about pacing and sure, how that yeah, structure yeah, yeah. works in there this is a completely competent film, and I think that shows that Japan, because most ple- most other places don't compete with us when it comes to blockbuster style films. No, no one does. But I think this is kind of a game changing film. India is getting up there, but uh, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I I think I don't know if I spoke to you guys about this after the movie, but you know, I went into uh, the news of Shin Godzilla being very excited about it because. Shinji Higuchi was involved and Shinji Higuchi, as we all know at this table, he did the special effects movies for the three Gamera films in the Heisei era. And they're the best things that we've ever seen on celluloid in the, (laughs) I mean, I guess I was expecting him to make my perfect Godzilla movie, because if you look at what he's done since the Heisei Gamera films, it seems like he's really been working his way up to it, you know? So I was totally surprised by everything in Shin Godzilla. I wasn't, I had no idea what to expect. And I wasn't sure that Shinji Higuchi and Hideaki Anno were going to make something as unique as this. But I, I honestly was expecting your standard Godzilla fare. And I was completely surprised, shocked and blown away in a good way from what we saw in this movie because it was so. And I don't want to use the term fresh over and over again, but man, this is, I mean, it is, it's a fresh take on Godzilla and it seems like no one else basically had really tried their own take on Godzilla. People at Legendary Pictures are like, what are you talking about, Kyle? (laughs) But seriously, like this is, this is such a departure from what we've seen in the past. It, I mean, it, that's one of the reasons I think it, it requires so much analysis. But I've been digesting that too, the legendary versus this, because sure, obviously yeah, yeah. this was made in response to the legendary one. The same thing happened with Godzilla 2000 and yeah, the yeah, yeah. bad 98 version. Toho said, you're making the money. We want to make the money. Well, or more like you did a bad job. We want to do something else. Oh, I don't think Toho thinks. I think I believe that Toho likes the legendary picture oh no i think they they do i was talking about the 98 okay gotcha yeah they did a poor job and so they did you know godzilla 2000 in response to that um 
But the nice thing is, and, and this is where the optimist in me comes out, we should all be ecstatic right now because we can get the best of both worlds. They're going to continue making legendary movies that will be monster brawls. And if we continue to get the more thoughtful versions from Japan, aren't we winning? Isn't that great? Oh, yeah, we like, are. Yeah, we as fans, fans are so winning yeah. right now. Win-win. Uh, yeah, that's it's fantastic. So, And, you know, they'll learn from the first legendary movie for everybody's complaints. Boy, if Hollywood is anything right now, it's listening to fans because <laughs> it is so dependent on their dollar. So we'll probably get those big epic what we've always wanted you know kaiju battles in coming years uh and if we get the more thoughtful thought-provoking deeper stories that are analogous to things that are crisis in the world from japan great we'll be winning on both sides mm -hmm. i just want to see like i think that this is like ano's best foot forward you know how a lot of times martin i will say yeah, I just think they were kind of doing the best with what they had. Yeah. This is the best with what Anno had, and he killed it. Like, for what he. That's what wanted I mean. This do. is legit. Like, this like, is legit this is, filmmaking. Yeah. So, this is like, I want to see the next director, visionary. I'm just going to freaking say it visionary. I want to see a visionary come in and do something like what Anno did, but completely different. And then I want to see somebody else come in and do that. I, I want to see a series mm. where we get different directors and we will identify those Godzilla movies by the director where we say, oh, did you see sort Spielberg's of like the Godzilla? sort of like the alien series, yeah, at least well, the first four. But, <laughs> well, but the but those are all different aliens in that in that world. My only fear of, of you doing that is by having the exact same character. This is Godzilla and this is this person's vision is all. I think you would slowly start to alienate your American audience. And I don't know how much they're financially dependent on that because I don't think that American viewers can necessarily wrap their mind around the idea of, wait a minute, is this a reboot or is this a sequel they're or is not, this a revisioning or like, they're not worried about the American audience because I, I, this and is I the don't know. first film in yeah. because this 16 one's been, years they've released. But so. this one's been doing financially really well in America. I believe that it is it has gone well it beyond did, any of their expectations. Is a fluke. They had no intention of releasing it to American audiences. But if you tell accounting people about flukes, that doesn't always my my, my only point is is that if you do that, you you could be dismissing the American audience. So you're and I'm you're not talking about running the risk of the legendary pictures, American fans, right? Uh, of, of American fans in general. I think if the, the next director came in and made their own Shin Godzilla type of a film, mm -hmm. it wouldn't have the same impact this one did in it because Americans would be going, is this a sequel to Shin Godzilla? No. Is this a sequel to legendary? No, that's, that, well, they've I, got a captive audience. The only yeah. people that went and saw this were people that know enough about the series to I, appreciate it. I disagree with that. I think that maybe from a television point of view on it, but there were a lot of people beyond the hardcore Godzilla fans. That's, well, yeah, that's because that, they were going for go to this Anos, like they knew it was one of his so, films, or it, the fact that it's just chic to go see something that maybe is new and different and you'd never seen before. Honestly, I think there's a little bit of both going on because Japan, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, Shin Godzilla did awesome mm -hmm. in Japan. Did so yeah, much better than any Godzilla film in the past 50 years. I mean, honestly, uh, 62, I think King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, but maybe it surpassed it. it. Didn't, 
It did it surpass it? Yeah, it surpassed it. Okay, so that's huge for Japan. So, like, I mean, it's still in theaters right now. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that. But it is, and that's awesome. And uh, there's a reason for it doing so well over there. That's aside from what I need to talk about, though. What I wanted to say was that I think that American news outlets picked up on that. And that it's because American news outlets and the geek culture that's so popular right now, because of those two things combined, that's why so many people knew about Shin Godzilla being a hit and wanted to go see it. And then you've also got – that's like general populist stuff. And then you've also got your hardcore Godzilla fans who, of course, know about Shin Godzilla who have been anticipating this and salivating for it. And then you've got your new Godzilla fans who went to go see you know, the Legendary Pictures Godzilla or maybe they've seen like a handful of stuff. I really think that Funimation positioned themselves for an absolute smash hit because they did the right thing by – sending it to theaters and a limited run, but expanding on it when they saw the need for it. That's like mm-hmm. unbelievable. I can't believe they extended the run for a Godzilla film. You know, mm-hmm. that's awesome. But yeah, I don't think that the audiences are going to get confused. I think if legendary pictures released it, they would run the risk of confusing their own audience. Oh, for oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. But I don't think that in general, American, the American fan base is going to get confused because it's going to be pretty obvious what's a Japanese Godzilla movie and what's an American Godzilla movie. Right, and I wasn't meaning that in the, with the two of them. I meant that... Martin, I just know. want you to stop insulting our listeners. All right, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, go ahead. No, that, that it was... Uh, and it wasn't about anyone thinking that this was a legendary reboot or sequel or anything like that with that one. That it's just that as now Shin Godzilla is out, if like four years later, Toho comes out with another one mm. and it was someone's visionary... So you know, it's not four years. A, a lot of people, or two years, but you know, our people are... that Then the audience that kind of got turned on for the first time with this film, not an American Godzilla film, went to a theater, went with the expectation, went, wait a minute, is this a sequel? Oh, this is, this was someone's actually retelling of their own version of this exact same character right. in a completely different universe. And I'm, my point was just that I think that can be off-putting for some Americans because most cinematic folks are spoon-fed. I think if, I think if it's a good movie, they'll forgive that. I, I, the, I hope so. I keep thinking American audiences be, will yeah, change. They gotta <laughs> keep up the good. Plus, yeah. that's, I mean, it is, obvious from the start that there was never even a consideration of what will americans think of this movie no not never this movie. oh that's so i don't absolutely. I, yeah. I, I so i don't think that but that doesn't we mean the next one that. won't be who who knows money does weird things maybe to people in but films. there i mean i think uh, no i i totally understand what yeah, you're saying i say what you're I mean, saying too. It, i can definitely i can absolutely see toho go you know what like the old cartoons Ching! The dollar signs come up in the eyes. Right. Like, I could see them doing I, that, but I, I'm hoping, really hoping that they it, they recognize that this was a hit for the it, right reasons. It's, exactly. it's probably a non-issue because the focus will be on what territory made the most money for them. That's what happens to American movies. They get adjusted for the Chinese market now because that's where they make yeah, most of their money. Absolutely. Yeah. Toho is not going to adjust this for American audiences because even for as well as it did here, it's nothing compared to what it did at home in Japan. They're yeah, because the Japan because the American money is like minuscule. Like, yeah, like Charles said, compared yeah. to what so it I, made. I, I think it's less than two million dollars. So, yeah, and I and, think I think they're going to focus at home, and that's perfect. That's what I want to see. You know, I want to see Toho movies for Japan. I mean, I, I do agree with you though that I fear that they're like, oh, look how much money we made. Maybe we could make more money if we. 
you know, simplify it for a global audience or something. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they don't do that. Yeah, but, I, I would hope that they, they look at it, how many people I, went know. to go see it and what the raving critical response is. Well, I shouldn't say raving because I don't know. I know it did really well in Japan, but I don't know how the critics received it. I would just say, like, Toho, look at what you did. This, You know, you have actually finally made a Godzilla film that the Japanese – movie watching audience can connect with yeah that I, they respond to yeah. yeah trust your directors more you know don't don't do who said by committee earlier <laughs> yeah like don't don't do that bad toho to do that so do the right thing let's make whatever the next godzilla movie is what are you gonna say charles well i i just love the fact that we're in a time where we can have it's like comic books. You can have these series. Here's a series that is written by this writer and this artist concurrently being produced yeah. with same characters, but in this other series, by this other series of writers and artists, mm-hmm. and they can live at the same time. And doesn't matter if the continuities perfectly line up. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's much like we're getting. It's like the Nolan Batman or anything like that, where it's like yeah, oh, you've got this, this is, Batman, and then you've got the funner, bigger. Dumber Zack Snyder Batman or yeah, whatever. Like. But this is like the Nolan Batman and the Snyder Batman being made at the same time. Yeah. yeah. This is awesome. So, But they almost were. That's the thing. They're very <laughs> close. We are living in a world where that can occur. Yeah. It's a magical time. Does anybody want to actually go back to the normal format? You didn't tell me what you – we were leaving off with you. <laughs> I think someone asked what, your, you, know, you, liked and didn't, what you liked about the film. Uh, you know, the visually, I think it was – this is – this is one of my favorite Godzilla movies in a while. There's a couple of things in this movie where, um, well, first, when you see there's a night, nighttime shots, aerial nighttime shots of Godzilla sort of, uh, pausing for a moment. He's got the glowing ring around his neck and down his spine. I thought was absolutely beautiful. And I want a diorama of that. I want that figure. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the, the effects were top notch. I just was, I was sitting there surprised just how, how, well they were done and i maybe just had low expectations going in i don't know but it i was i was pleasantly surprised and just kept i kept wondering some of the some of the stuff i was like well maybe they actually just got a guy in his suit and you know did some some clever stuff i mean it's all cg but it just I know they it, did some motion capture but, but i don't it, know much about it yeah but it moves like a guy in a suit which i liked but it has uh this compositing is done so well. Everything ties together so well that, that, um, I'm not seeing the seams. And have you uh, seen any of the special effects footage that's come out? I know you posted something. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I got about, I think I got like three things for you. Yeah. August Ragone <laughs> just posted a really cool one yeah. too. So on Facebook, yeah. there's so. like, there's at least three of them out there. And it's awesome. just, I think there are two from, I think they might all three be from different studios, but yeah. they're, it's cool to watch. It actually, it almost like ruins it a little bit because oh, no. you're kind of like not not in a bad yeah. like movie watching way, but just like, yep, that's definitely not a suit. Definitely, yeah. definitely not a suit. Yeah, but I thought they captured the feel of a guy in a suit really well, and that's yeah, yeah that's something that we all kind of like, you know, about about the Godzilla movies. I think the Godzilla's guy size and yeah. slowness definitely yeah. helped them in that regard because yeah. if they were trying to make a CG monster move like. Ken Pachiro Satsuma's Godzilla. Right. I think they would have a lot more trouble with that, trying to make it look right. Not yeah. make it look exactly like a suit or make it look exactly like CGI monster, but like trying to get that, that marriage that I'd like to talk about. That, yeah. Um, I do have complaints. Don't worry. But okay. uh, there were a lot of things. There were, there were things that, that, I mean, those, the visuals are number one thing for me that I liked. Okay. Right on. Saying. Yeah. I would have to say the visuals as well. There are some absolutely haunting shots. Yeah. 
there is one particularly that uh, is, I, I remember the first time I was on the show and you asked me like what my first Godzilla memory was. And I, I talked about like seeing the original 54 movie on television in black and white because it was the 70s again and my parents' TV was black and white. And being so affected that I went outside and I was actually afraid that Godzilla was going to like step over my house. And there was a shot by a moving car going like along a street with like a row of trees next to it. And he is towering above it. And it is a shot that I've had in my brain since I was a little kid. It is absolutely perfect. Um, And again, much like Charles, I have a few complaints too. But uh, there was a scene, a long shot where... It's the first time you really get to see the phase four, stage four Godzilla walking and there are cars and houses being flipped up by his feet. It's a long shot. So you can actually see the scale of the things that are being affected by him walking. And it was breathtaking. I mean, I literally, I think I almost gasp like, (gasps) like that was incredible to see that. Um, I do wish that there was a single protagonist because I, I disagree that the government man who becomes prime minister by default through the tragedies of the film is the protagonist because... No, he's not the protagonist. There's no he's protagonist. Like, no, there is Rando none. Yamaguchi yeah. was the protagonist. Uh, is there? Yeah, he <laughs> like, was. <laughs> okay. I, I think being so scattershot with such a gigantic cast sure. was a little difficult for me to enjoy it. I yeah. absolutely and and while I say yes, there was a protagonist, yeah. I can't deny yeah. that you didn't. He wasn't treated like your standard yeah. movie protagonist, yeah. where you didn't, you weren't along the ride with him the whole time. I I totally get it. Mm-hmm. I totally understand. It. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? What did you love about Shin Godzilla? Um, well, as with everybody else here, I I love the visuals, but I love the overall mood and atmosphere yeah. of the movie. Um. I really enjoyed because there's a feeling of like, you know, hopelessness and like, you know, horror midway through the film when you realize what are we going to do? You know, there's nothing we could, especially after he does, you know, his atomic breath and <laughs> Which basically is blasts moment. the whole city. You kind of think like, I mean, because, you know, as with everybody else in the movie, you've never dealt with anything like this before. Yeah. What do we do? So I thought that I loved that overall feeling and like what Sane said, that shot when you're like in the car and it's like, you know, from a low perspective, you really get that where you're, you're, I mean, my palms, my hands started sweating because it's like you feel that I've seen that shot every single time. There's also the scene where where the, like, you know, the shingles of the house start rattling off too. That's my favorite shot in the entire movie. It's like you feel, it's like you really kind of, you feel the impact of what yeah. this mm-hmm. would be on the actual city. I also thought it was a, a fantastic shot is when, you know, the younger um, evolution is going through like the canal mm-hmm. and sure, you just yeah, see yeah. like, you know, like the boats the, and stuff, everything that, yeah. that that's like a fantastic, you know, yeah. shot and, as well. And pulled directly from that three eleven imaging uh, imagery. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. My favorite thing from the movie. I don't, I, just, I really liked the whole thing, but uh, I think overall, I do I have really come to love the Shin Godzilla design and it's really once I you know saw it on screen that's when I fell in love with it you know that final fourth form that we see in the movie it's just I don't know 
awe-inspiring and breathtaking. Yeah, sort of it, that sort of like invokes, powerful thing. Yeah, I was going. It invokes the idea that this is much like they say in the film over and over, a god. This is this yeah. literally inconceivably powerful being that that we mean nothing to. Yeah, we mean yeah. nothing to. No, we, in fact, that's probably the most powerful statement as far as the power of Godzilla in this movie is when they're just unloading on it with like tanks and helicopters and it is completely unfazed. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get any, it's literally unfazed. They can't penetrate his skin. Yeah. The first time he even roars is when they drop the big bomb on him. Yeah. With the bunker busters, which is like, and again, it's like, it's easy for us to not as casual moviegoers understand the amount of like munitions that are being dropped on him until the bunk bunker buster because those things are meant to like penetrate hundreds upon hundreds of feet of like stone and earth yeah you know so for them to actually injure him it's a big deal in the movie to show how powerful this creature really is like you know i think i i i'm gonna change what i love most about this movie I mean, while I still love the design, and he has really come to grow on me, uh, and I can't wait to get my X-Plus figure eventually. Honestly, I think the thing that I love most about Shin Godzilla is the fact that it is thoroughly thought through. If you look back at the history of Godzilla films, it is riddled with, oh yeah, you shouldn't pay attention to that shot right there. You should, uh, don't, don't worry about how they got the camera right there. Don't worry, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I feel that Shin Godzilla did better than almost any other kaiju film. And a lot of the Millennium Series films started fixing that stuff, but I feel like Shin Godzilla went even further into really thinking about each and every individual action and how it was going to impact the rest of the story and the visuals too. Well, that's why I said this was a a legitimate, a legitimate film for their time. Sorry. This is a benchmark. No, absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. I, now that you mention it, you know, as I'm thinking about it, this every shot that you have, every aerial shot or something, can be justified. Oh, it's a helicopter shot, or they're on a rooftop, or you know, there's no floating cameras like you have in typical CG movies now, where it's physically impossible camera flying uh, or or positions it or anything. Always it always bothered me in the Heisei movies when they were sitting there in the control room and yeah. it was the exact same camera angle that we just <laughs> saw when yeah. we were in the scene yeah, yeah. with Godzilla and, and Mechagodzilla fighting. Uh, so, it, you know, it felt like every, every, yeah, every image of Godzilla that was captured could be captured by a dude with a camera and not, it, you know, that's what part, part of what helped make it feel pretty realistic. You know, it's not... It's not this uh, magic camera that that I always have a problem with in modern movies. Yeah. So let's flip it over to the bad. (laughs) Martin, let's start with you, man. (laughs) Uh, Like I said, it was, it was the pacing for me. And, uh, um, I, I, I'm going to say it up front breaking format. I do want to see this movie again. Yeah. Uh, I really do because I do feel like I missed a lot just with all the dialogue and everything that was going on. So, because there, because I felt like I was trying to keep up with what they were saying. You were absolutely and, trying to keep and, up and, with it. Yeah. So, so in doing that, I feel like the humor aspect of the whole, the parliament and all of those things, like it, it didn't come across as humorous to me. It came across as this is the statement of it. But like you guys have said, oh, there's all this, there's this humor in there, this dry and this dark stuff with all of that. And to me, it's just like, all right, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. Because I'm just trying to like keep up with the reading and watch it. Because it, cause it yeah, is yeah. a good movie to watch. 
But you have to read your movie with this one as well because it is so thick. And because of the people that are changing positions and, and yeah, shifting yeah, yeah. through that, and then you get a parliament wiped out, and then everyone gets bumped up, and then you got new yeah. prime ministers and stuff. So in that respect, it's like, man, I'm just I'm trying to keep up and watch this thing that's very visually appealing to it. So, but it's um, but it, it is the pacing for me. It is, and a, a second viewing may really take care of that for me. Yeah. Uh, just, I'm curious if Sane did this too. And it, Charlie and, and Jeff as well, if you, if you did, when these movies started coming out on DVD from Japan, we were able to get them at bootlegs with mm-hmm. uh, sub- removable subtitles. I definitely started watching them without the subtitles first, just to watch the movie, just to like be able to get mm-hmm. the Oh, I've done that in, so many times. And yeah. then watch it later a second time with the subtitles on. I totally wanted to do that during this the first viewing of this yeah, film. I was like, oh, I really wish there weren't any subtitles, just so I could like just watch the yeah take the, in the big yeah. picture. Exactly. So I sort of envied the people. I definitely envied them, but the people who went to Japan to see this movie in the theater, where they were like, they, you know, people who don't speak any Japanese at all, mm-hmm. they're just huge Godzilla fans, and they just went, you know, well done, gentlemen and and ladies. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, like being able to watch it without the distraction. Mm-hmm. Of the words. And, because there's there's yeah. a lot of stuff you don't need. You don't need all of them trying to figure out what kind of organisms did this, that, and the other thing and all of that. I mean, that's that's part of the story. But, yeah, you don't need the subtitles. Like, you could just watch this thing with the subtitles right. turned off and be able to get <laughs> And I would even counter with if – and I've said this to other people too. If they did a dub really, 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 really well where they covered – just about everything that you would hear in the Japanese language, even going so far, this is my, you know, pipe dream stuff here, even going so far as to change some of the text on the screen. So like there's one particular point in the movie where they're arguing about whether they have the ability to drop or to uh, use the Japanese self-defense force against Mm -hmm. this creature. And there's two shots. One is a guy and you're looking through his computer screen, so there's words on the screen, and they're all in Japanese. I'm sure that, like, that would I would benefit from seeing a an English version of that, right? You know, other stuff like that. And I'm not saying they need to change it for the dub, the visual stuff, but it just would be nice to be able to hear the layers, because especially in the beginning of the film, and uh, especially during the first attack, I think there are just so many voices. I don't think I would have liked to see this film without subtitles the first time because it's so dialogue heavy. I think I would have been frustrated. Like I'm missing something. Sure. They're yeah. saying something that I'm not getting, but well, the next or, time I see watch it, watch it with the subtitles first and then watch it without. The yeah. Subtitles. Cause I do want to see it. Like if, when it comes on home video, I definitely want to watch it, you know, no subtitles, just watch it completely visually. Yeah. That time. But I, I think I, the first I time I think I would have got frustrated. <laughs> yeah, as as would I. I. I don't I don't think I ever watched if I had the option of hearing what they said or seeing what they say, I would have done that over watching it without subtitles and no dub. I I, I think I've always watched them with with at least seems like every Godzilla movie I've ever seen I've watched it with a dub first cuz that's the only one I could ever get my hands <laughs> yeah. on, so I don't so, know ever tried it. What were your least favorite aspects about Shin Godzilla? Okay, I'm going to struggle remembering the characters' names. Uh, I'll but, do, do the best I can to help you right. out. So we have uh, the aid guy that is basically our protagonist. Rando, uh, Rando Yaguchi or Yamaguchi. Right. The amazing Rando. Yeah, and, the Rando. <laughs> and, and my 
I, I I liked him as a character. My only complaint is I almost thought he was a little too subtle in perhaps his performance and that, you know, he has a little bit of a character arc there where where he he starts to feel very put upon about the situation, not sure what to do. And then he turns around and kind of becomes the hero, the quote unquote hero at the end of the day. But it becomes the hero Japan needs him to be. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it, I, I thought his 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 arc there was pretty subtle, and and maybe I think I would have liked a little more out of it. But but the female counter to him, the Kayako and Patterson. Yeah. Okay. So my biggest complaint there is is not for a second did I buy it that that she was even in a position where she could become president in her forties. That running joke. Um, or that but, she was born in America, or that she was born yeah. in America. Um, but I thought, I thought the way her character was presented was a little, kind of a little cliche, a little, you know, that sassy girl, you know, the very her intro, you know, just the way she's talking, well, coming from the party, and yeah, I think like, she's eh. part of the satire because she's a brash American woman. As yeah, she's a Japanese yeah. woman who doesn't have the Japanese sensibilities. Is that one scene where yeah. she says like, "I'm really bad at Japanese honorifics." Can we? I'm actually even doing the stupid hand motions. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Uh, she says, "I'm really bad at Japanese honorifics." Can we go informal? Which I absolutely interpreted as her playing Rando Yaguchi, I, like trying to get her way. Right. Anyways, I thought I, even even with the satire that you mentioned. I thought she was over the top. Oh, she's in terrible. In the context of the movie, she's <laughs> terrible. I'm, I just, I had a hard time with her, with, with her character. Do you think it would have been okay if she didn't try and speak English? <laughs> Maybe, perhaps. I, I'm not trying to be mean. Per, it was, perhaps. That is probably the biggest complaint I've seen is her yeah. as the, her character and the English constantly being used in it. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I do agree that I think if you're going to do that, uh, you should do it well. And it's, and it's, I'm sure this is the complaint that people from other countries have with people, uh, from the oh, U S yeah. doing, yeah. doing accents. Uh, if you're going to do it, you better do it well. Um, uh, and most Americans I think, uh, don't do it well, but, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was the one problem that yeah. her, yeah, the jumping into English definitely didn't work for me, but, uh, I just think her general personality didn't work for me. But it was sort of a subsection of the of Actually, her character that I didn't really care for. Today. Well, and I'll, I'll say this too: her position. I'm tr- I'm still trying to understand how it is that her position allowed her to be where she was, kind of guiding things. I mean, how how is it? What was her job that allowed her to do? She was the daughter of someone, right? So Who was it. So it's like so. So is Obama's daughter going to show up and start rescuing Japan from giant monsters? I mean, what I didn't I'm really sure eventually. make right. Yeah. So, I mean, it didn't really make sense to me why she was even there. Uh, yeah. I mean, aside from the the research group that she was part of was also working on uh, on Goromaki's research, but I mean, that's but I. The, well, I can't it. answer that. Yeah, you. no, I, I don't of... expect you to. I'm saying <laughs> these things were too much of a mystery for me, yeah. and uh, that kind of bothered me. All right. They, they and... were making some statements about America, oh, though. And yes. so, you <laughs> know, be, yes. between the whole issue of dropping the bomb and then having her in there, and I think that that was she. She was attempting to try to channel what it means to be like bro American 
politician coming in and and pushing stuff around and all of that stuff and you know i that that's the way i I it's true and that's exactly what i got out of it too but there is something that fundamentally that i think we're missing in this discussion and that is japan has had to turn to america for everything since the occupation and that is part of the subtext of that character and everything else that's going on is that one of the most important statements made in the movie is the occupation never ends. The treatise of a you know MacArthur and the American occupation of Japan didn't end when they got their autonomy and became their own country. It never ends. They only have the self de- uh, defense force. They don't have an army. They have to turn to America for virtually everything. We supplement them for a lot of stuff. I think that's what they were trying to say with why that character existed, why they were rolling over to a certain degree early in the film for whatever America was going to do in with the situation. Um, that was a lot of stuff that, yeah, was none too subtle a point being drawn about Japan's dependence on America for guidance and economic security, the Not military. Mention, yeah, Like you said, rolling over. I yeah. mean, that's like Japan... I, I had in my notes, like, it's very obvious that Japan feels like America is this sort of like overbearing older brother that's just kind of like, yeah, you know what, just move aside, let me do this, you know. And I I think that came through in the movie really well. Um, saying what didn't you like about this film? Well, I'm going to go the other direction. Even though I, I don't, the, it could be a leaner movie. It certainly could probably lose 20 minutes of exposition in the political realm of mm-hmm. the film um, again for a Japanese audience I can totally understand how important that is for the point they were trying to make they were pointing out deficiencies of their own government in civic and national matters uh, in the geist of a giant monster movie right I get that for me as an American audience member could have been leaner still got the point across but actually my complaint and I think we talked about this directly after the movie when we got beers. I think they gave Godzilla too many superpowers. Uh, <laughs> that's a weird thing to say, but oh, it sorry. it is very much Ano and the influence of manga and anime. It's the Super Saiyan Dragon Ball Z thing. It's like, oh, you think that's his ultimate power? No way. He's got one more thing that makes him even more powerful mm. than the last time. So giving him super Godzilla bat radar and the photon beams from his back and his tail. It's like, I was perfectly satisfied. And I don't know what other Godzilla fans are going to feel about this, is that they split the difference between what the 54 Godzilla and the Heisei, which is everybody's favorite. Let's face it. Everybody loves the 90 or it's 89 to 92 Godzilla. That's everybody's favorite. Not mine, but that's everybody else's favorite. No, he's it seems definitely like been, and Toho's adopted him yeah. as the, the mascot of Godzilla. And the 54, you know, had just kind of the metaphorical fire like a dragon, you know. So I liked that splitting the difference where he starts belching out that just toxic smog and then it ignites and becomes fire and then it's focused like a blowtorch down into a tight beam and becomes the photon laser that everybody loves from the 90s series so much. Mm-hmm. They, I thought that was great, but the second they started having him shoot it out of his tail and shoot it out of his back, I was like, that's 
an influence from manga that I just don't like. Right. I just did not appreciate it. I I was probably, and thus far, I think I'm the only person that has thought this whenever I've listened to any review or anybody else talk about it. It's like, I didn't really like that element. I didn't want a million laser beams shooting out of him like a disco ball. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. kind of stupid, actually. <laughs> I l- did like the his, you know, laser breath that they gave him and yeah. it just like destroying the city, but then being reverted back into the, which I thought was the most powerful element or a uh, single shot of Godzilla entire movie was when he was just belching flame and the city was literally on completely on fire around him mm-hmm. that echoed back to obviously the exact same shot from the 54 movie. And it had the apocalyptic imagery that I've always wanted to see in a Godzilla movie. Like they've used it once or twice in other films, kind of, but nothing once in any other film that I feel like this is like hell on earth to have this creature in the middle of your city. Mm-hmm. Like he is literally raising it to the ground, which the next day there was not fires everywhere. And like <laughs> the, the sky was just not blackened with ash, but that nitpick aside. Yeah. I would say like the, the superpowers were a little, ooh. a little too much. Yeah. I just didn't yeah. enjoy them. I actually, you know what? I, that wasn't going to be my negative aspect of the film, but I completely agree with you. Like, I unfortunately, during my pres- uh, my prep work for the presentation of the Hollywood Theater, I did accidentally see the image on the internet of Godzilla with his uh, dorsal spines spewing out those photon beams and the tail in the same image. And I was like, well, I hope that's fake. And then it wasn't. I, you know, I don't mind it terribly. But it's one of those things to be like, did Godzilla really need a power upgrade? Did he really need to get uh, another thing that's going to oh help God. him kick the butts of military technology across He's the He's at over 9,000. <laughs> so, Jeff, what about you, man? What didn't you like from Godzilla? Um, I have a couple of minor things I'll touch on. One of the things is what Charles mentioned about uh, the lead actress. I kind of felt initially like she was from a different movie like put in this movie her character was like like he said too over the top for all the other characters but then you know just recently thinking about it maybe that's because she, you know she's kind of representing america oh yeah definitely so she's over the top so maybe that's that's why and i'm just not you know catching on to that because i'm not you know japanese and and live in japan the other thing is like what sane said i did not i was not a fan of the, you know, coming out of the back and the tail, it just seemed like too much to me. And the third thing is the whole master plan at the climax of how they have all these trains <laughs> set up to attack and then, you know, demolition the buildings. So he's going to fall down and they're going to have everything ready to go pump that fluid into. I, it, I just thought like, okay, that's like a little bit too convenient there are a lot of elements to come together and and any one variable to go wrong yeah especially when he's shooting all that stuff out of his back he could have just destroyed all those buildings but i i I agree with you it's a it's a little silly but i kind of i kind of like the fact that they were using buildings against him and yeah it was i thought that was fun um and the last thing and this is very minor is i wasn't a huge fan of bringing back the classic themes it seemed like like fan service I'm that glad just you that, that, up, that didn't fit this movie that's actually that is my my negative takeaway from this film 
this film did not need the Mon Aural Godzilla soundtracks and it did not need the classic sound effects from the Toho library. In my opinion, I can understand why they added it to a few things, you know, like Godzilla's roar in the beginning, like where it's definitely the exact same roar we heard in the 54. I had no problem with that. I didn't have a problem with a lot of the footstep sound stuff that we heard. But the first time we hear that Ifukube track called Godzilla Comes Ashore, I just would have much rather heard those tracks re-recorded with a modern orchestra and sound like the other tracks in the film because there's some good music in the film. Uh, this is the same composer that worked on Neon Genesis Evangelion, and he did a fantastic job on the tracks that he made for this film. There's like three or four that just are killer to listen to. but you know, using those older ones, like, is it a money thing? Like, maybe they said, well, this is an easy way for us to dip into the Toho library and not have to pay somebody else for material. I don't know if that's the case or not, but that was my biggest complaint with the movie Walking Away. Is like, every single time I've seen it, I just go, I really wish they hadn't used those sounds and songs, really. I wish that they had spent a little bit more... Well, I don't want to say spend a little more time and money. I mean, because I don't know if that was the case. But if that was the case, I absolutely wish they had it could have gone and re-recorded that stuff. I just thought for me that it just felt out of place because this yeah, is like a completely place, yeah. different, unique there, Godzilla movie. I mean, if you want to put the themes, put it at the end credits or they, something they, like that. They did, you know? they did, but they they also they could have also left it with that first opening track right at the very beginning of the movie when you hear Godzilla's roar and you hear the intro music. But, like, when the bullet trains are heading towards Godzilla, the bullet trains packed with explosives, and you hear the battle in outer space march, I actually thought that was a bad choice for a song, too. It didn't get me amped up for the rest of the plan. It took me out of the film instead of, like, getting me to feel that sort of, like, oh, my God, this is it. This, like, hopefully this is going to work vibe. It's it's true that the soundtrack didn't feel as epic as everything else that was happening on screen. You know, it, should, it sure seems like there should have been moments where it was a little grander. There are a couple, like I'm saying, I'm serious. There are a couple songs on it where as I'm listening to them, I feel that power and that awe like pumping through my ears. And to me, it feels like Shiro Sugisu just needed to, you know, dip into his own library because there were also songs from Evangelion in the movie. Again, I don't have any basis for reality on that assumption or that guess, but, you know, Based on what we've seen in other movies, Toho reusing old cues from the soundtracks, that's the vibe I got from it. Time for us to round up our final thoughts here, Mr. Vavra. Uh, I do want to see it again. I would recommend this to people. And yeah, like I said, it's, you know, I'm an, I'm an unfortunate product of, of American fast paced action. <laughs> I, I, I am. I'm a, I'm a popcorn consumer. There's nothing um, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But I can understand, like, especially after doing this for seven years with us, like, now you're having to watch something completely different. I mean, this movie was so vastly different from anything else that we'd seen Godzilla-wise. It, it is. And, and and Sane said something which was cut 20 minutes out of this film. You cut 20 minutes out of this film, I'd probably be just, you know, happy as could be. Um, I think it would it would solve a lot of those issues for me in that. But I mean, otherwise, this is a, a fantastically well made, well well realized movie. It it very much is. Um, mm. So and 
some of that probably speaks to my unfortunate expectation of what I want out of something like that. So, but yeah, while I, I may not have enjoyed my initial screening of it, I will see it again. And there are a lot of great aspects to this film. Awesome, dude. Charles. I absolutely like this movie. Uh, I'm not going to use love. I think that might be a little strong, but I like it a lot. And, uh, Having seen it twice, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I'm definitely going to watch it when it comes out on Blu-ray. Definitely going to do some more digging and looking at the behind the scenes because uh, I'm very curious about that. And uh, I like the possibility that this is a standalone and they're not going to follow it up. I hope. I hope. But uh, I'm definitely going to recommend it. Cool. Sane. Yeah, uh, I agree with Charles. Um, In a world where we're inundated with unnecessary sequels it would be great if they chose to let this be its own entity and never follow it up final thoughts i will say it's not nearly my favorite godzilla movie but it is fascinating and i will preface that by saying it is actually probably a masterpiece as far as the subject matter of giant kaiju movies goes it is absolutely unique like no other film that's ever preceded it. What direction other Japanese cinema will take after this is going to be fascinating. And I don't just mean in kaiju terms. I think just in general, because this is one of the few films from anywhere else in the world that was probably as close to a Hollywood movie as I've ever seen. Hmm. Uh, Even Bollywood movies, because they're still even a little cheap looking. (laughs) Like they're still a little phony and fake looking compared to like, our crappiest blockbuster is still head and shoulders above what anywhere else in the world makes. It's a perfect example. There's like some Russian kind of knockoff of the Avengers coming out. And I cannot wait to see that. Yes, but, but yeah, it yeah, still it, looks yeah. cheap. Yeah, yeah. By it looks as cheap as a made for sci-fi channel asylum movie. Um, it may be more original, <laughs> but it doesn't look better. This one looks as good as anything Hollywood would make to a point. Yeah. I mean, obviously, to a point. To a point. Uh, but incredible. Like, I, I, I do believe that this is uh, going to change, hopefully, the way Toho approaches the character from this point onward. And it may have some bleed over into what we see here in the Legendaries series, too. Right on, right on. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, great movie. I will. I don't foresee this being one that I watch on a bi-monthly basis or sure, something, yeah. but I'll probably still watch it at least once a year, once it comes out on Blu-ray. Yeah, Un- Sane's until absolutely... Until all the secrets have been divulged. <laughs> yeah, Sane's absolutely right. This movie's going to be referenced for a long time. There's a there's a lot to... Not just the kaiju, you know, Godzilla aspect of it. It's it's just the Japanese filmmaking Yeah, uh, is going to be referenced for quite a while. I think it definitely is at least going to occupy an, an interesting space in Japanese cinema yeah. with its financial success. Uh, which we, I think, we'll talk about a little bit too later on in the news. Jeff, yeah, I absolutely, really, really enjoyed this movie. I was completely blown away by it. You know, like I said, since I kept away from all news, I didn't expect this at all, and I was pleasantly surprised. This is sort of what I wanted the legendary Godzilla to be, because you know the original trailer we saw yes, for it yes, was it was like it made it yeah. look like it was very, very dark and yeah. brooding. And, and and almost like a horror movie, and this filled that need that I thought the legendary movie was going to be. But um, yeah, I mean, I agree with what all you have said about. I think this is like 
one of the most important Godzilla movies ever made. I think like, like Charles said, when people, people are going to be talking about this movie, when people make a list 50 years from now of like Godzilla movies, this will be towards the top. Maybe not as the best, but as one that people talk about. Cause you look how much we've talked about it already. What we going on two hours? That's an hour and a half. <laughs> hour yeah. and a half. But well, it's, it's just like, more. yeah, I mean, it's just That's like, okay. it, it's a very, it's a very meaty <laughs> movie. Meaty movie with a lot of ideas. Yeah. So and and I, and I respect the hell out of it for being so whiskey. So uh, I obviously you know you guys have heard me talk about this a lot. I clearly really like this movie. I still think that I have a lot of viewings left in this movie. Just for me to really feel like I've got everything. And uh, you know, actually, saying when we were leaving the Hollywood theater, I said this to you. I feel like after, you know, watching 60 years of these movies, not that I've been around for 60 years, but, you know, 60 years worth of these movies, that I feel like I have this sort of, like, menu that I like to order from when I you know, go to see one of these movies. I'm like, okay, so I want the uh, I want the aliens, and I want the science fiction-y things, and I want the big giant monster that fights another big giant monster. And so, in a sense, I have this sort of, like, perfect meal that I sometimes get, sometimes don't get from Toho. And I honestly felt that this movie was going to be closest to that when I walked into it. But after I was sitting there enjoying the hell out of it, I realized that Shinji Higuchi and Hideaki Anno had essentially served me some of what I like, but given me all these other elements that I didn't know that I was going to enjoy the taste of so much. Wrapping it up for me on the on my final thoughts for the movie, like Shin Godzilla essentially is a delicious meal that I wasn't ready to eat, but I was really glad that I ate it once it was in my belly. <laughs> so there you have it. That's our Daikaiju discussion for these guys here. We got so, so much homework in that uh, these guys don't have to read it. <laughs> First and foremost, I want to thank the listeners for keeping their reviews brief. I know it's very hard to do with this film, and we appreciate it very much. I'm sure you can point out the hypocrisy of me speaking for uh, however long this episode is going to go after, you know, of course, asking you guys to be so brief. But you did a great job. Now, for those who didn't keep theirs brief, I am sorry in advance for the hack job I did uh, in editing your reviews, but please... Understand my pitiful place as I have to read these. We received a whopping 35 reviews. And so we're going to kick things off with the listeners who sent in their audio homework, starting with Andrew. Hi, this is Andrew Sidlick from Columbus, Ohio. Longtime Godzilla fan, new listener to the podcast. Overall, I feel that Shin Godzilla is a good movie. Not among my favorite Godzilla films, but certainly not among the worst either. And the most obvious talking point for the movie has been its heavy use of dialogue and that it focuses so much on the human element. Now, this is especially important for me because I'm legally blind, so it's very difficult for me to follow along with the subtitles, especially in the theater. I was able to catch enough of the dialogue to follow generally along with the storyline and the characters. And I actually appreciated the political dimensions of this, the serious tone, which sets it apart from many of the more fun action oriented films really calls back to the original 
Godzilla movie. And the acting was also very good for Godzilla movie. I feel like especially Satomi Ishihara, who played Kyoko Patterson, the U.S. special envoy to Japan, who is Japanese but works for the American government, embodies the tensions between loyalty to Japan, the international pressures. So there's criticism both of Japan for its bureaucracy and that keeping things from getting done, but also the international community, its horrific pressures to use nuclear weapons, which for Japan is always going to bring up Nagasaki and Hiroshima. But as much as this movie focuses on the human element, it delivers in the monster element, I feel. So, Godzilla looks very different, especially since he mutates throughout the movie. Some people don't like that. I think it's kind of cool and interesting. It's a different kind of Godzilla than we've seen. He looks very sinister in this movie. And there's one especially striking shot that I think points this out. There's a shot of Tokyo at night and all the buildings are going dark because the power is being knocked out. And then it cuts to a close-up of Godzilla's blank reptilian stare and you have the skin cracked and glowing and there's no music and it just puts a very solemn, sinister angle on it. And Godzilla just looks evil. So he also has many of the iconic features though, the atomic breath, which there's some cool twist to that. He has the famous roar. So it does new things, but also pays enough homage to previous movies that I, I feel like it does a good job of balancing both of those. Overall, I like the film. I hope it reinvigorates the franchise. Also, Nick sent in his homework. Shin Godzilla is a bold reinvention of the Godzilla franchise and character. While some longtime fans may not enjoy the changes, I personally found them to be welcoming and refreshing. There's only so much one can do with the same character for 30-plus films before things start to feel safe, stale, and recycled. Directors Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi have broken, no, destroyed, the mold with their take on the big G. It's an unapologetically Japanese film in its style, acting, action, and subtext, truly meant for the Japanese people in the wake of the tsunami and Fukushima disaster. Everything we see can find inspiration from those real-world tragedies, right down to the cranes used to deliver the coagulant in the climax. Brief history lesson, those were the same cranes used to provide cooling and remove debris from the damaged Fukushima reactor. However, this doesn't mean foreigners cannot, nor should not, see this film. Above all else, it's meant to start a dialogue on Japan's role in the international community. With war drums sounding from nearby nations such as North Korea, should Japan's tributary state designation be abolished, allowing them to increase the effectiveness of their military for purposes outside of defense and natural disaster? Anno seems to think so, with the core message being simply, do as you like. There have been cries of anti-Americanism, but I think they are largely unfounded. Yes, there are plenty of jabs at us, or more precisely, our government, but while the final battle is won largely due to the efforts and sacrifices of the Japanese, it only happens thanks to international cooperation from the U.S., Germany, and France. Do as you like also means share the world. 
I was at first unimpressed with most of Shiro Sagisu's score, but it has grown on me, and now I count some tracks as among the best in the entire series. I guess I have a soft spot for D.A.C. Rei-style gothic music. And it's always welcoming to hear Akiru Fukube, even if it's via original mono recordings. While I am sad to see the most traditional forms of tokusatsu left behind in favor of modern CGI, the usage of motion capture, at the very least, keeps the spirit of a man in suit alive for a new generation. A fair compromise. It also helps that the CGI, for the most part, is wonderful to behold. No, this may not be Hollywood-grade, although it is extremely close. At least in this movie, we are given plenty of time to digest what is happening on screen, instead of the Michael Bay-style ADD editing that renders most effects-driven pictures unintelligible. The ending is surely to be a point of discussion for years to come. And that's exactly what Anno and Higuchi intended. They want this film to start a discussion, not just on effects or Godzilla himself, but on our human nature and the organizations that are meant to keep us safe. In all, a 4.5 out of 5 coagulant tanker trucks. Excellent film. And we can't forget Danny, too. As part of an incredible trip to Japan this July, I got to do the one thing all Godzilla fans dream they can one day do, see a new Godzilla film on opening day in a Toho cinema. Staying in the Hotel Gracery in Shinjuku enabled me to see the red carpet premiere, as well as see the film in the theater beneath the hotel. During my stay, I was able to see it twice, and wow, this film is very much a masterpiece. Just wow. This film is nothing short of a triumph, it really is. And not just for the Godzilla series, either. It's straight up a fantastic movie on its own, and stands as a brilliant and masterful piece of cinema, regardless of its genre. It deserves all the praise it's getting. And it's definitely clear that Anno and Higuchi were diehard Godzilla or diehard Godzilla fans. If that wasn't clear before, any and all misconceptions have been cleared up now. Fans will surely find plenty of references and callbacks within the script, directing, and even the musical score. And this film was downright scary. Godzilla wades through the city like an unstoppable wall of flesh and is never seen more like a god than he does in this film. Especially in the sequence when he unleashes his breath. This is a definitive moment in the entire series now. A scene of destruction that visually and tonally surpasses that of every film before it. It's absolutely horrifying. Plus, it's returned the power of allegory and reflecting tragic current events to the Godzilla series, something that we haven't seen for a while. A lot of these scenes have been carefully crafted by director Hideaki Anno to powerfully reflect the tragic 311 tsunami and earthquake incident from a few years ago. Some of these scenes are very, very vivid, and some Japanese viewers I spoke to called them, quote, terrifying. Especially the scene where the Prime Minister calls a press conference to say Godzilla won't come ashore, and then he does. This is a reflection of the Prime Minister's actions during 311, of course, and a Japanese viewer watching this will get the reference. Director Anno is definitely firing on all cylinders here. You can feel his passion pouring out across every scene of this movie, and it's easy to tell he had fun making it. The actors are all amazing. They do a terrific job in conveying the terror and tension of their characters, despite the fact that we don't get a look at their personal lives. And, uh, man, alive. It's really fun to pour through the script and look at some amazing things and definitely look through the credits to see some familiar faces. The cast for this film is amazing and immense. And, of course, there's also the music. Shiro Sagisu now joins the ranks of Ifakube and Sato and Oshima and does one hell of a job. His music for this film is amazing. And then, of course, what would a Godzilla movie be without the special effects? 
Although a ton of CGI work does exist in the movie, it is nothing short of astonishing, and it is very much in the tokusatsu spirit. Part political drama, part allegorical horror film, part old-fashioned creature flick, Shin Godzilla is a remarkable achievement. A masterpiece has truly been born. Anno and Higuchi have created, in my opinion, the definitive Godzilla film for a generation. These two old-school tokusatsu nerds and longtime friends can rest easy. They've done the big guy proud. Shin Godzilla was a little too talky for Shane's taste, and for God's sake, they need to pick a conference room and stick with it. But the action scenes were incredible, and Godzilla's beam weapon made him poo a little. Cameron really appreciated being able to see an honest-to-God Toho Godzilla film on the big screen in a theater. This is his first opportunity. The theater was absolutely packed, and being in a theater filled with Godzilla fans had an almost infectious energy. Godzilla's design actually looked great in motion, which was definitely a big concern going in. Cameron also really enjoyed the process of the new breath attacks, starting with the distended jaws belching a raging red flame, before tightening and growing in intensity to the purple beam. He also loved the low camera angles, and especially the sequence at night, where the red glow of Godzilla's fourth form was the only source of light against a blacked-out Tokyo. Despite being so talky, Cameron was invested in the characters and felt the fast-paced nature of the dialogue, peppered with enough gravitas, political satire, and humor, kept it interesting. Focusing on the government response is something we haven't quite seen in a Godzilla film before, and it definitely gave the film its own identity within the 60-year-old franchise. The tone was also consistent throughout, never giving one mood whiplash. Cameron has seen a lot of comparisons to the original film, which is a valid one, but he feels a more accurate take is on the 1984 film, especially with its focus on the international reaction to an appearance of Godzilla and the Japanese government trying to stave off the monster and its more gung-ho neighbors. It's never as bleak as the original, but it's definitely a darker film. Despite enjoying the film as a whole, it was not without its flaws. Godzilla's second form looked utterly ridiculous. Also, despite enjoying the effect of the new atomic attack from the mouth, the rays coming from the fins just didn't quite work for Cameron. It felt a little too anime, for lack of a better term. He also didn't care for Rando's speeches and felt that they were too drawn out and generic. Additionally, Kayako Patterson, who was supposed to have been born in the States, had probably the worst English in the film. Overall, despite being incredibly pessimistic going in, Cameron isn't the biggest fan of this director. He really enjoyed Shin Godzilla. The ending really intrigued him, and he actually hopes Toho does a sequel in order to explore some of the ideas proposed and possibly have Godzilla fight another monster possibly spawned from his constantly evolving biomass. The way they have portrayed scale and power in this film was excellent, so a monster battle in the same style would be incredibly effective. John G. thinks that Shin Godzilla is unlike any other Godzilla film we've seen. It's an honest attempt at making the series more cerebral and philosophical than the Millennium Run. While it sucks that we don't get to spend too much time with the king or see it fight another monster, the intelligent writing more than makes up for that. Just seeing Godzilla unleash his atomic breath for the first time was chilling. John is sure the fans can't wait to see what's next for the series. And as a Tokyo SOS fan, he'd kill to see Kiryu again. Chris says, even with some nitpicky third-act pacing issues, Shin Godzilla is a near-perfect Godzilla movie. The political take was fresh and fun. It was refreshing that there were no forced, let's-get-to-know-each-other's-drawn-out-life-stories situations between the human cast. They get right down to work and stay on task. It felt like a realistic response. And Godzilla is neither inherently good or evil. He's portrayed, as he should be, as a somewhat tragic 
animal moving on instinct and surviving in a harsh world. For as radically different as this Godzilla is, he is still so very 1954 at the same time. Chris hopes that Shin Godzilla 2 begins with a Jurassic Park-like amusement park slash shopping mall built around Godzilla's frozen body, setting up a sequel to be a commentary on commercialism like this movie was for politics. Ian D. says that if there was a movie studio in heaven, then Shin Gojira, God Incarnate, allowed the original fathers of Godzilla to return to Earth to create this seemingly new classic. While not as direct on the anti-nuclear theme as the original, you can see the director was taking inspiration from the original while having a completely fresh take on introducing Japan to its first kaiju, and showing the audience the political red tape of dealing with such a unique problem. For Ian, the glory is in the soundtrack. Shiro Sagisu's work is touching and sets a good groundwork for the human drama. Then, Godzilla's scenes are made even more powerful by the return of Akira Ifukube's original scores, a powerful effect making you wish that the screen would fade to black and white just as Godzilla lays waste to all that stands in his way. Oh, Francisco. It didn't take long for Francisco to see how one would not be able to appreciate this movie without the subtitles or knowing Japanese. The key feature of this movie is its sense of humor and realism, used to great effect by employing its many actors. We witnessed the shared experience of a Godzilla attack from the perspective of all the people in charge of making decisions on how to handle the big G from top to bottom. We saw how complicated coordinating an offensive slash defensive against Godzilla would become when individual humans are tasked to make quick decisions factoring on international and national law, politics, casualties, economics, and oftentimes one's own legacy against an immediate mass threat, all while maintaining order within the chaos and keeping to traditional standard protocol. It was a story not only of man versus monster slash nature, but also of humanity versus itself. The huge number of actors was not a problem, and the casting likely chose these actors for their ability to distinguish themselves easily, and that allowed the numerous characters to not become lost amongst the sea of faces. It also emphasized how incredibly complex the chain of command was, and why it needed to be reorganized. The job title cards above every character were a joke in and of themselves. We see all these very important-sounding, high-ranking positions, where even reading the name often wouldn't give you a better understanding of what that person actually does. Eventually, the viewer learns to just forget about reading those title cards and focus on the characters and what's being said. It was a metaphor that many of these characters only think of themselves within these job descriptions and act accordingly. Only once they have forgone the formalities can they truly be themselves and make changes for the better. This is confirmed once the Prime Minister and several top-ranking officials die, and the fate of Japan and the world is left to the rebel Yaguchi and his team of nerds, lone wolves, and outcasts to come to a better solution before history's third nuke is dropped on Japan. Now let's talk about Godzilla. Godzilla is what makes this the most ballsy Godzilla movie in the entire franchise, and he absolutely loved how they approached him. However, one thing this viewer criticizes Shin Godzilla for is that it's fetishizing Godzilla. He felt it tried to boil down Godzilla movies into a few simple, big moments, where we had just a lot of build-up from one Godzilla moment to the next. For example, the breath scene attack. They took it to the next level and made him truly terrifying, and it was almost anime-esque in its creativity and grandeur. Plus, Francisco absolutely loved this Godzilla and his hyper-accurate back lasers. But what didn't Francisco love? Pretty much just this. 
Why was the American agent of Japanese descent, Kayoko Patterson, played by someone who clearly spoke English as a second language? If English was intended to be the character's first language, she was clearly miscast. Chris G. attended the KaijuCast Shin Godzilla event. The first thing he noticed after the movie was that everyone seemed to have smiles on their faces, including him. Shin Godzilla is an awesome movie. Godzilla was destructive and terrifying, and he was loving every minute of it. Chris highly recommends watching Shin Godzilla on the big screen. The only issue he had was the strange soundtrack. The music was good, but stylistically seemed to be all over the place. Some of the songs that Sagisu created didn't complement the Afukube songs very well, but he will be looking forward to purchasing the DVD when it's released. This was Michael's first time viewing a true Godzilla film on the big screen, and it was awesome. Hideaki Anno and Shiji Higuchi put an unconventional twist on a conventional story that has been told time and again throughout the series. However, this film was far from flawless, as there is not enough drama and character development to compensate for the long, drawn-out board meetings that account for a majority of the film's two-hour runtime. Michael understood what Anno and Higuchi were trying to get at by showing how the modern Japanese government, and the world in general, would react to the situation of dealing with a kaiju. Godzilla's new origin was the big highlight for the film, as it was essentially a supercharged version of how life on Earth has evolved in the last two billion years, as he evolves from a small microorganism to an amphibian, which looks kawaii in a creepy and disturbing way, and finally into the dinosaurian form that we know and love. Not to mention that the ending shot gives a chilling possibility of what he would evolve into next if he was not frozen. The destruction is seriously cranked up from what we got in 2014, and the scenes of Tokyo on fire make you think that you were watching a colorized version of the original. However, where this movie succeeds, where films like GMK ultimately fail, is that you still feel some sympathy for Godzilla as he constantly bleeds out as he is doomed to live this miserable experience. This is what we would get in real life if Godzilla were to appear. The ending is also very poetic as the King of the Monsters is brought to his knees by the very things he destroys. Lastly, Sagisu's score is delightfully eerie as it sounds like something out of the omen, and it was also a big treat to hear Akira Ifukube's scores from the Showa era, and the sound effects to go along with them. In short, though Michael may not have liked all the risks this movie has taken, such as Godzilla's shooting lasers out of his back and tail, and the fact that the movie is slower than Godzilla's walking pace, it was a very interesting take on the King of the Monsters. 3.5 out of 5 stars. Welcome back, Godzilla. Bob notes that Shin Godzilla marks a solid return for the Big G to pointed social commentary first seen in 1954's Gojira. The characters form a sharp criticism of the Japanese bureaucracy and its morass of officious laws, obvious red tape, and career-conscious politicians. Coupled with excellent camera work, solid directing, serious acting, and inspired pacing, the film successfully returns Toho's Godzilla to the big screen. Stomping about, Godzilla adds disaster to this Fukushima allegory that bears his name. Issuing his trademark roar, Godzilla reminds viewers that he's not a friend, but a literal nuclear disaster. His paths throughout the city invoke imagery of earthquakes, storm surges, and the chaos that led up to the real-life Fukushima reactor incident and significantly, he leaves huge radiation blooms in his wake. It is up to the human characters to decide how best to handle this abominable combination of nature's fury and man's mistakes. While the unending committee meetings might be a death sentence for some films, Shin Godzilla makes excellent use of the time spent in each scene, conveying the drama with lots of straight-faced urgency, and allows the pacing to keep viewers from thinking they're watching C-SPAN. 
Editing saves the day here, hopping back and forth from boardroom to cityscape to field headquarters in such a way that moves things forward without being too confusing. The film deserves praise for its bold interpretation of the Godzilla design. Watching him mutate over time coincides with the film's desire to recreate the series of horrors of Fukushima. Unfortunately, Godzilla himself suffers a bit from the stiff monster syndrome. While this works for some things, such as the shoot-me-I-don't-care stance he takes at one point, it fails to deliver a sense of the sweeping calamity the filmmakers are trying to convey. How does Godzilla wreck the city while standing in one place? Visually, the film delivers the most cinematic kaiju experience to come out of Japan. Dramatic camera angles, great composition, and a very talented eye on muted color choices sets a fantastic mood. The CG animations and effects are also excellent and show a lot of attention to detail. Near-seamless effects help give credibility to the film's attempt at realism. Again, the use of color, this time the vibrant neons of Godzilla's inner glow, that help Godzilla himself stand out. His energies pop off the screen in brilliant fashion. Easily one of the best kaiju films in decades, Shin Godzilla earns an emphatic thumbs up. Mike Keller is changing his name to Poopy Pants for this review because he thinks that's what most people will call him anyway after hearing what he has to say about Shin Godzilla. Actually, Poopy Pants' opinion of the film has improved after a second viewing, and he has come to the conclusion that he'd like the movie a lot more if Godzilla were not attached to it. At its best, Poopy Pants thinks that Shin Godzilla is a better-made version of Attack the G8 Summit, or maybe a not-quite-as-good-or-funny kaiju take on Dr. Strangelove. A friend who saw the movie with Poopy Pants described it as a bad episode of The West Wing with a monster thrown in. Poopy wouldn't go that far, but damn, he thinks it's a good line. Also, I'm done with the whole poopy pants thing. Mike's biggest problem with the movie is Godzilla itself. In fact, he'll go so far as to say that this film commits almost all the same sins against Godzilla's character as the 1998 American film, with the exception of leaving him his invulnerability to conventional weapons. And this time, the part of the Oxygen Destroyer is played by Origami? Mike's never warmed to this Godzilla design. He does not see the mutant hell beast of destruction that others do. He sees a kid's Muppet toy that got pulled out of a trash compactor and got a new paint job. This Godzilla does not convey power. It conveys awkwardness and looks like it's falling apart. Characters in the film called it twice. They went so far as to state in the dialogue that Godzilla is only interested in walking. But where to? The whole hyper-destructive breath scene is nice, but pretty much all of Godzilla's destructive inclinations are siphoned into it. And even then, he only does it when he feels threatened, and then he has to stay frozen for half a month. Even Legendary's big guy was able to rock and roll in the morning after a night of sleeping it off. The changing of Godzilla's origin and the lack of exposition surrounding it did not suit Mike at all. There is a vague implication that Goromaki created Godzilla. Yeah, it's vague. Only one line and you might miss it. And where the hell is Mr. Maki anyway? If Toho does make a sequel to this, he'd like Mr. Maki to turn up and sort some things out. Speaking of which, if nothing else, this film has been successful. Good box office is good for the fandom, as it ensures more Godzilla. He would just prefer not more of this Godzilla. Chris saw Shin Godzilla twice in STL and was completely blown away. Being his first Godzilla Toho theatrical experience, it was the greatest experience of all time. The turnout was outstanding, and immediately he felt like a little kid again, talking about Godzilla with his fellow G-fans. Shin Godzilla was a literal piece of cinematic art and is one of the best Godzilla films of all time. Chris loves the design of Shin and thought Anno absolutely did him justice with the most powerful atomic breath yet. 
The film's characters were memorable and by far has the best Godzilla meme since the corncob hippie of Godzilla vs. Gigan. The hardest part of being the Japanese Prime Minister? Soggy noodles. Adam E. notes that Shin Godzilla was certainly different. He really enjoyed the way this movie was told from the point of view of a government worker trying to deal with the crisis Godzilla has caused, though he could have done without the five straight meetings of actors reading off their scripts at the beginning. The score was also enjoyable, the new score that is. The destruction scenes were also some of the best we have ever seen. Unfortunately, the canned Ifukube tunes were just out of place, especially with the noticeable difference in sound and quality, and those American actors and their dialogue were cringe-worthy. Although Adam always has concerns with remakes, see his article in G-Fan number 99, there is one part of this film that really stuck out, and that is Godzilla's evolution. While it did make for an interesting take on his origin and introduction, the dialogue indicates that Godzilla will continue to evolve. One character makes a comment about the possibility of growing wings, and from that point on, Adam kept expecting Godzilla to suddenly evolve into Kaiser Ghidra from Final Wars. Is it really Godzilla, if it only looks like Godzilla temporarily before changing yet again? Despite his reservations, Adam did enjoy the film and looks forward to future viewings. But he would not recommend this to a kaiju newbie, as they would miss all of the references to other movies in the Godzilla canon. Adam kept it short and sweet and says he really enjoyed the fresh take that Shin Godzilla brought to the franchise. Mark says Shin Godzilla is definitely not for everyone, but it is very close to a masterpiece. The effects work is very on point, the story is awesome and well-written, and the new origin for the Big G is pretty interesting and unique as well. The one thing that is very obvious in this movie is that it is very Hideakiano. It has his signature style, artistic touch, and way of putting the parts of the story together. Next to being a huge fan of Godzilla, Kaiju, and the world of Tokusatsu, Mark just happens to be a big anime buff as well, with Evangelion being his favorite anime of all time. Loving both franchises made this movie a very special treat that he'd only expect to happen in his dreams. But here we are. With that being said, though still different, Shin Godzilla definitely mirrors Evangelion a bit. There were many references in the film, including four pieces of music from the series that Shigeru Sagisu updated for Shin Godzilla. Mark also thought the film had some nice nods to the 1954 original. The talk about Coagulant had him thinking of Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla and he thought showing the Hiroshima photos was a good touch. Godzilla Resurgence is a wild roller coaster ride that will leave you on the edge of your seat. This movie is beautiful with awesome, likable characters, and with a good amount of comedy thrown into the mix. Godzilla is bigger and more intimidating than ever, plus his powers and actions in this film are insane and epic. Case in point, Mark gives this movie 5 out of 5 purple atomic beams. Pete says that in the same vein of Towering Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure, Cloverfield, and the original 1954 Godzilla, this film is a disaster story of horrific proportions. However, unlike the aforementioned film, Shin Godzilla is told from the perspective of the government officials forced to defend their country from an unstoppable force while choking to death on their own bureaucratic red tape. The character development is kept at a minimum in favor of a frantic pace with heavy dialogue and controlled panic. No amount of preparation could brace a country from getting slapped across the face with a 50-ton spiky tail. Pete was skeptical when Toho announced this iteration of Godzilla would be entirely CG, but with only a few exceptions, the King of the Monsters was very real against the city background. Many films hide the flaws of today's CG with quick camera movements, like Transformers, or shooting the scenes at night and or in the rain, like Superman v. Batman. 
The day shots of Shin Godzilla were crisp, and the weight and movement of the objects was convincing and terrifying at the same time. While exhausting, the machine gun dialogue felt very real, and Pete believes that if such a creature would ever appear, that this is pretty close to what would actually happen as our government worked to stop the threat. And while history shows that bad things usually happen when Japan and Germany get together, it was good to see that in time of emergencies, governments can work together. Pete enjoyed the film immensely from the CGI to the unique story perspective and especially the healthy dose of ridiculous Toho science. The final scene left it open for a sequel because, really, what the heck did he just see? All he could tell about that last shot of the tale that whatever he was seeing, it wasn't human. Pete can't imagine Toho won't follow up with Shin Godzilla 2. Andrew's going to hammer out his thoughts as he is sure the submissions will be at an all-time high for this one. Things he liked. The military assault scene was awesome. Never has the Japanese military been so accurate. Godzilla firing his laser scene was unexpected, and the destruction of Tokyo was both poignant and jaw-dropping. The music itself was awesome, a lot of it harkening back to past films and still adding some new great stuff. Things he didn't really like. The CGI at the start of the film was not so good, and the cookie monster eyes really threw Andrew out of the movie. Three quarters of the film takes place in conference rooms, prime minister's offices, or brainstorming rooms. He knows that the whole point was to be satire on the bureaucracy of the Japanese government, but it really slowed things down. And finally, the human characters tried to be interesting and had some funny moments, but they are nowhere as memorable as the Showa characters that he enjoyed in the past. All that said, Andrew really loved Shin Godzilla and would give it 4.5 out of 5 creepy humanoid monster tales. Diego says Shin Godzilla was a great experience. He saw it twice on opening day at the Gateway Film Center in Columbus, and at one of the screenings there was even a KaijuCast work shirt. He just has a few quick notes. At some point he gave up on which location was a meeting taking place. Trying to follow two sets of verbiage was too much, but he liked the gag. The Unstable DNA was a good movie science explanation for the evolutions of Godzilla, but it caused him to flash back to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The Hagunians, which I don't know if I'm saying right, were a race with the same condition. If they could not reach a coffee spoon, they would soon spontaneously grow longer arms and would no longer be able to drink the coffee. That would explain a lot of the rage coming from our gray and red friend. He loved the music, but he felt he didn't need to buy the soundtrack, as he already had most of it. There were some problems with the sound design. The roars were always top-notch, but the footsteps and some of the other music seemed muted. The setups, planning, bureaucracy, meetings, team building were a great touch, rarely seen, and done well in monster films. While some thought it was boring, Diego thought it worked well in this film. Hopefully all movies from here on out won't try and make this a West Wing trope. The military actually went out of the way to avoid damage and actually concentrated firepower. Though still not effective, it was nice to see. Also, that final battle was really well thought out and executed with so much precision that not a drop of the coagulant was spilled. Also, sign him up for President Kayako Patterson for 2028. The special effects were more than effective and always kept him in the movie, except maybe that first eyeball. But he loved it when the eyeball switches to all business. Also, since there's a new Godzilla Tower, does this mean Gigan might be in the sequel? This was easily one of the top five Godzilla films for him, and he would show it to anyone who can stand reading a lot of subtitles. Final comment, Hail to the King, 60 years plus. He also asks, WWRT, what would Rachel think about the first iteration of Godzilla? He doesn't think any of the stages of evolution would make a great plushie, but you never know. Nathan describes Shin Godzilla as equal parts nostalgia, anime, political thriller, and disaster film. 
Much like with Gareth Edwards' direction in the 2014 film, Nathan was familiar with the work of Hideaki Anno, so he wasn't totally caught off guard by the film's style and weirdness. Scenes like the fast-paced exposition given during the meetings with up-tempo music playing in the background were taken straight from Anno's classic anime, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Godzilla's strange new powers, particularly his dorsal fin lasers, are reminiscent of the monsters known as angels in that series. Some have complained that this isn't quite as authentic a Godzilla film as it isn't true suitmation. Regardless, the special effects rarely, if ever, do things a man in a suit couldn't do, so Nathan says that this is a legit portrayal of Godzilla. Considering the budget for this film was $10 million, a pittance compared to the Gareth Edwards' $140 million movie, he's astonished the special effects were as good as they were. It was probably because the monster scenes were used sparingly in order to apply more time and craftsmanship to them. Despite the complaints he's heard from others, he thought the plot and characters of the film were well-written and compelling. It's rare to see government officials as characters in a Godzilla film. In fact, the only other time Nathan can think of is when this happened 30 years ago in The Return of Godzilla. It offered a new perspective rarely seen. He also enjoyed seeing the Japanese and Americans band together to battle Godzilla, something also rarely seen in past films since both countries have had a strong alliance for many decades. It also lent some credence to a thought Nathan had several months ago about how the U.S. would actually respond to a kaiju attack on one of its many military bases in Japan. He admits that hearing the Prime Minister say he would have gone down in history as the man who authorized the third dropping of a bomb on Japan kind of broke his heart. There's so much more that Nathan could talk about regarding this film, but he's already gone on long enough, so we'll sign off to let other G-fans speak their mind. He gives Shin Godzilla four and a half proto-Godzillas out of five. Neil in Tulsa sends his homework submission in for Shin Godzilla, which is the first Godzilla movie he's seen in a theater since his viewing of Godzilla vs. Megalon in 1976. He liked the realistic look at the Japanese parliamentary government, showing meeting after meeting after meeting to both create a consensus and reach a decision. Neil really liked the characters discussing issues while doing Aaron Sorkin-esque walk and talks right out of TV's West Wing. Neil also liked the take on the Japanese Special Defense Force as a competent military that wants to protect their citizens and after some setbacks, wants some payback. Neil really enjoyed the escalation of the caliber of weaponry used by the Special Defense Force. As Neil used to say when he was in the army, that was hoo Also, Godzilla upped his weaponry as well and went medieval on Tokyo. His atomic breath seemingly changing from flaming napalm to sharp lasers that slice through skyscrapers and B-2 bombers alike. And don't forget that dorsal spine emitting laser in the tail. These made Godzilla a very frightening opponent, and Neil loved the Afukube musical callback when Godzilla emerged from Tokyo Bay. Good stuff. But there were things that Neil didn't like. There were so many meetings, and he knows from experience that this is how the government really works. But do we really need to see that? That's a lot of meetings. Also, they trotted out the old evil U.S. trope again, as the U.S. makes it clear that it will nuke Japan to kill Godzilla if the Japanese efforts fail. To paraphrase an old saying, we are willing to fight to the last Japanese. Also, the score left Neil unimpressed. All that sexy military action and not one stirring patriotic theme? Yawn. What Ko Otani could have done with this one? Final thoughts. Breathtakingly bold in its vision, Shin Godzilla has reinvented the King of the Monsters for the 21st century and thrown the gauntlet down to the legendary Godzilla and said, take that. Four out of five dorsal spine laser bursts. Michael decided to drive 90 minutes on opening night to see Shin Godzilla and it was worth every mile driven. 
Michael won't say Shin Godzilla is the best film since blah, 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 but he does say that Shin Godzilla is by far the most original since Godzilla vs. Biollante. He really enjoyed the soundtrack and thinks that the Mono Ifukube tracks gave those scenes an instant documentary feel. It may not have been intentional, but the final results are a plus in Michael's book. The CGI never took him out of the movie, though that may have been from the overwhelming feeling of seeing a Toho Godzilla film on the big screen since Godzilla 2000. Further viewings will determine how good or bad it may actually be. Many have complained about the English of certain characters, but Michael wasn't distracted by that. Toho has never had the strongest stock of American and English-speaking actors, so what else is new? He also welcomed Godzilla's new forms. Version 2, the first form we see on land, was hilariously awesome. Derpzilla has earned a welcome spot in Michael's kaiju-loving heart. He's patiently awaiting news of a home video release. Hopefully the film's success and extended theatrical run will push Funimation and Toho to get a home video release out by spring. For Ian A., Shin Godzilla was the first ever Japanese Godzilla film he's seen in a theater, and he's oh so glad it was. The film started off in a way he didn't quite expect, slow, and allowed a government back and forth, which he would soon realize was what the whole movie was about. This new spin on the story was a breath of fresh air, and it was a very interesting take on the usual stuff people think of when they think of Godzilla. A giant dinosaur comes up and destroys the city, they try and stop him with a mech, and then he goes back into the ocean. No, this one was much more grounded, and what would really happen if a giant radioactive beast were to come ashore in Japan? Along with that, Godzilla gets a whole new design and set of abilities, which in Ian's opinion may just make him the most powerful Godzilla we've seen yet, which we see at the climax making Godzilla seem scary again, laying waste to Tokyo, maybe just a little bit more than usual this time. Not only representing the atom bomb, but also the fire bombings on Japan, it was one awesome spectacle to see on the silver screen. Then, in the end, a very creative defeat for the king. And the message being that humanity has to live with Godzilla just as we have to live with nuclear energy. With Godzilla possibly trying to replicate humans. Who knows? Aside from the plot, Ian also liked some of the more subtle things, such as the use of classic Toho effects. With the fiery start of the breath, the old roars, which slowly progressed from era to era with every form. And of course, the beloved return of the Monster Zero March, and plenty of other tunes. And having watched some of Evangelion before seeing Shin Godzilla march through Tokyo, Ian noticed a lot of very Hideakiano-type shots speckled throughout the movie. Overall, Ian loved Shin Godzilla, and while at first he had some trouble placing it on his list of Godzilla movies with it being so different, he thinks it's somewhere up there with his top three. Until a second showing, at least, Ian gives Shin Godzilla 10 soggy Prime Minister noodles out of 10. Luke says that Shin Godzilla was amazing, and best of all, he was able to see it on the big screen on his birthday with his wife and brother. He really enjoyed the new concept for Godzilla's backstory, but he's glad they still had some of his original origin, as well as some more scientific things about, like, his dorsal fins, by mentioning they're used as vents. This design is definitely the scariest, most nightmarish-looking Godzilla ever. The other positives about the movie were Godzilla's ability to attack from his dorsal fins, but his tail, which Luke was not so excited about, almost reminds him of when they threw in a curveball by giving Godzilla the ability to fly in Godzilla vs. Hedra. He also enjoyed Godzilla's color scheme as well. A few things he didn't care for, besides the tail beam, where the subtitles were so fast that you couldn't read everything at the same time as watching, or when they were introducing the characters' names. He felt that there was no character development and there was just way too much talking. Overall, he still rates this movie as one of his favorites, including Godzilla's design, 
And finally, the ending with Godzilla's tail having all these mutated creatures coming off of himself. Are they maybe Evangelion EVA units or angels? Lee says that this was a masterpiece of filmmaking. Layers of meaning and political angles mixed with incredible cinematography, sound, use of music, solid acting, etc. The first 20 minutes was the best political satire he's ever seen. He was cracking up with the number of board meetings and the constant character titles, showing you the number of people in the government that all seem to be inconsequential. Then, as the monster evolves and the stakes rise, so does the tone of the film. We are introduced to our band of misfit characters that work together in ways that obviously juxtapose against the overinflated government. In the end, we reach an optimistic climax where, by working together with other countries and within its own infrastructure, from the blue-collared workers operating cranes to American drones, Japan overcomes Godzilla. At this point, the use of constant character titles is no longer a satirical jab, but the film's way of saying it literally takes a nation and beyond working together to save the world. The ending is bittersweet, though as Godzilla will now always be there in the middle of Japan, forever reminding the Japanese of the threat of nuclear weapons. Honda's whole purpose for Godzilla in 54 being turned into a literal plot point in this film as the UN's countdown hasn't been stopped, but merely postponed. Lee also loved Godzilla finally being depicted as a god, the heart-wrenching scenes of civilians in the aftermath of destruction, also the mystery of Goromaki. But if Lee had to pick one thing that should get the most love, it's the nuances and gray zones of every character, decision, and political stance. There is no clear evil or example of human villainy. Sure, the film may at times criticize one political stance more than another, but Anno does his best to give merit or at least empathy to all sides while still pushing a message of hope and patriotism to a post-war, post-311 Japan. Even the Prime Minister, in all of his indecisiveness, is given sympathy as he is often put into no-win situations and even wants to stay behind to honor his duty when Godzilla comes knocking on his front door. John says that Shin Godzilla is pretty close to the movie John has been hoping for from Toho or Legendary. This Godzilla is what we were promised in Legendary's teaser featuring J. Robert Oppenheimer. This was the destroyer of worlds we were all expecting. It was a great story told in a very unique way. American blockbusters will never take this path in storytelling because they feel it would be too risky. Hideaki Anno invites us into the volatile political climate that is Japan. This may not be popular to some, but John welcomed it. It harkened back to the original 1954 film, and like the original, the filmmakers clearly took cues from devastating real-life events. For the most part, he really enjoyed the dialogue in the board meeting scenes, the chain of command that they went through just to get the okay to fire on the monster, and then the decision not to fire because of the fear of the civilian casualties was fascinating. After the news of this Godzilla being 100% CGI, John was worried. No suitmation? But the trailer was really convincing, and like most, he was a bit concerned at the first view of Godzilla's second form. It looked like a balloon from the Macy's Day Parade gone very, very wrong. But he knew where the filmmakers were headed, and when it got there, Shin Godzilla was amazing. This movie has the best city destruction scenes from a kaiju film since Gamera and Gauss took out Shibuya in 1999. And for John, Godzilla's new origin story and new abilities felt natural. He was completely engulfed with everything they were doing with Godzilla on the screen. The film possibly could have benefited from some trimming of running time. After Godzilla powered down after his attack, the movie kind of drug a little bit. Not saying John needed Godzilla in it at that point, but he would have liked to see some of the characters react with some more emotion. Sure, they still had a job to do. They needed to find a way to stop Godzilla, 
But with the overwhelming damage the monster did, someone in that group had to be personally affected by this. Unless he missed it because of the rapid-fire subtitles, it kind of seemed like the lead character was the only one to show emotion. John wanted to latch onto the characters the way he did with Sarazawa in the original, and he just didn't get that. All in all, though, he really appreciates what they did in this movie. It was dark and smart, and these solo Godzilla movies don't come along very often, so when they do, it's nice when they're this good. Shin Godzilla is the movie Brian has been wanting Toho to make since he saw Godzilla 1985. Sure, he likes seeing Godzilla battle other monsters, but those movies lack the dreadful power of an angry, solo Godzilla. They're great, but we've seen that 26, 27 times now. Is anybody ever really scared Godzilla isn't going to win at the end? Finally, Toho has delivered the Godzilla movie that Brian has been waiting years and years to see. Story-wise, he was happy with the similarities to Return to Godzilla. The fact that Godzilla showed up within the first 10 minutes and then was a constant threat throughout the rest of the film, albeit with a two-week rest period, was awesome. When we first see him slogging his way into the city, pushing cars and rubble out of his way, Brian really pitied this seemingly helpless creature. He loved the satire in the film. It really helped give the film modern-day relevance that has been lacking, more or less, since 1954. That being said, he found the first half pretty heavy-handed and kind of goofy, especially in scenes with the Prime Minister heroically making decisions. Godzilla's first major attack and the reveal of the laser beam breath was beautifully shot and one of the best scenes of Godzilla destruction that has ever been done. The dorsal plate laser beams were kind of goofy. The visual effect reminded him of the rotoscoped, optically processed ray beams of the Showa era. And he wasn't too wild about the tail laser either, but again, it wasn't a deal-breaker. Brian loves the new Godzilla design in his final form. It's the most monstrous Godzilla we've seen yet. It also conveys the idea of a creature mutated and deformed by radiation better than we've ever seen before. It's also cool that they patterned this design on a rejected concept design from the original 1954 Godzilla, where he has a mushroom cloud-shaped head. However, since they changed the origin and he's no longer the product of the atomic-slash-nuclear bomb tests, a mushroom cloud-shaped head doesn't really make any sense in the context of the film. Brian still likes the design. Regardless, this truly is a hideous monster. He was disappointed that the filmmakers dropped the combination of a practical suit-sized marionette and CGI motion capture slash animation so early into the production. He's been telling people for years that Toho ought to do a traditional suitmation Godzilla movie with certain parts of the suit augmented by CG, like his face. When it was originally announced that Shinji Higuchi was planning on doing exactly that kind of practical effect, he was over the moon. He still thinks a practical CG hybrid process would look amazing, especially if they shot it with a very tiny camera to mimic the relative perspective of human eyes. Anyway, disappointment over the FX process aside, the CG in Shin Godzilla was actually pretty good, especially for a Toho movie. He was dreading a Final Wars level of effects, but this film actually rivaled American productions in terms of believably rendered computer graphics. His biggest complaint was regarding the music because he found it quite distracting at times. The tracks rarely matched the tone or the action or the human drama on screen, and Brian felt it undermined the feel of those scenes. There were also plot threads that never seemed to be tied up, or that they were explained but didn't make any sense. The yacht at the beginning, where they find the dead or missing scientists' papers, and the little origami crane, how does that tie into Godzilla's initial appearance? Somebody comments that maybe he unleashed Godzilla on Japan. How could he have done that? How did the scientists even know about Godzilla in the first place? Overall, though, Brian really enjoyed this film, plot holes aside, and would put it in his top five favorite Godzilla movies, along with Gojira, Monster Zero, 
Godzilla 1985, and Godzilla vs. Biollante. Sorry, GMK, you're now bumped down to number six. If they ever make a sequel, he'd love to see it deal with the harmful effects of physical contact with Godzilla or Godzilla's cells on humans and animals, like an allegory for lingering atomic fallout. What Jeff wants to focus on is the aspect of Godzilla as a deity. He's a professor of religious studies and East Asian studies, and he teaches the original 1954 Gojira and his course on monsters and magic in popular culture. In that course, he stresses that the connections between Godzilla and the traditional Japanese religious notion of kami. Kami is a Japanese word that means god or deity, but also contains a sense of inhuman or supernatural power. Kami are central to Japanese religion, and their defining characteristic is not that they are good or bad, but rather that they are powerful. Anything that is unnaturally powerful may be perceived as kami, including mountains, typhoons, earthquakes, strange old trees or rocks weird or mutant animals, as well as actual personified deities such as the god of the sea or the goddess of the sun. Jeff thinks the connections between Kami and Godzilla should be clear to most listeners. Godzilla is a gigantic, unstoppable elemental in its power. It emerges from the ocean depths, a traditional haunt of Kami, and is worshipped as Kami by the natives of Odo Island. Shin Godzilla makes much of this explicit, calling the new creature Shin Godzilla a clever play on words as Shin means both new and Kami. Godzilla is perhaps more Kami-like in this film than any other, in part due to the portrayal of the monster's personality. In earlier Godzilla films, the monster is actively engaged with this environment. It roars, it snarls, investigates, swings its arms to smash buildings, breathe fire, and especially in the Heisei Millennium series, has a range of sophisticated facial expressions. Not Shin Godzilla. This monster has virtually no facial expression in any of its incarnations, and more or less single-mindedly swims and tromps forward in a straight line. It only changes its behavior in direct response to the outside attack, briefly roaring, emitting beams, or mutating to deal with the immediate threat before returning to its nearly oblivious state. It is therefore much more otherworldly and less of an animal or character from previous depictions. It's a god above us mere mortals, except in brief moments when its divine wrath must be unleashed. A final point. In his course, Jeff stresses the presence of giant monsters in Japanese tradition from the very earliest myths. The class looks at, for example, the story of Yamato no Orochi, the eight-headed serpent that inspired King Ghidra, and of course, as well as the Orochi itself in Toho's Birth of Japan and Yamato Takeru. So Jeff was pleased to see Shin Godzilla draw direct connections to Orochi. Indeed, the new Godzilla is described as a modern-day Orochi, when the final battle plan to freeze its blood is prepared, and Shin Godzilla ends up having multiple heads, both because the tail ends up growing another mouth for firing beams, and because it is from the tail that the small-scale Godzillas begin to grow. Jeff will be curious to see whether the Godzilla as Kami theme continues in any sequels to Shin Godzilla. For the most part, Joe was pretty disappointed and found the movie to be bogged down with way too much dialogue. There were a few spots in the film that seemed to come to a screeching halt because of all that dialogue. Plus, he found himself struggling to keep up with the subtitles. Godzilla didn't have a lot to do in this film. He just sort of lumbered around. It would have been nice to actually see him destroying something like in the original 54 film. There are a number of things in this film that Joe's still scratching his head over. All of his new powers, for the most part, were pretty cool, but Joe had trouble with the way Godzilla's bottom jaw would split when using his breath, which is more like a laser beam this time out. He also didn't care for the different forms. That first look, when he first appeared just kind of crawling on his belly, was just silly looking. That said, there is some pretty cool stuff in the film, and he thought the ending was great. The plan that was initiated to stop Godzilla was inventive, different, and fun. 
He loved the idea of blowing up the buildings around Godzilla to knock him off his feet. Some of the cast's performances were very good. He also thought the overall special effects were fantastic. But overall, Joe was disappointed. He was really looking forward to this film, but Shin Godzilla might have been the most disappointing one he's seen this year. He hates to be so hard on it, but he had actually planned on seeing it a second time, but after that first viewing, just couldn't bring himself to sit through it in a theater again. Paul notes that it's really hard to be objective, since this was only the second Toho Godzilla film he's seen in a U.S. theater, Godzilla 2000 being the other one. But Shin Godzilla is one of the best films in the franchise's long, storied history. He just hopes that Toho takes its time in making future Godzilla films. Overall, Justin's experience for Shin Godzilla was great. He felt the limited run for the film was a wonderful choice. Both releases of Godzilla 2000 and Godzilla 2014 seemed overcrowded with riffers, and many times that could taint a faithful fan's experience. However, this limited run gave more the impression, at least from his perspective, of a film exclusively for enthusiasts of kaiju and tokusatsu films. The film itself was exactly what he expected it to be. According to much of the film's overseas praise, it was dark, brooding, and overall much more somber than the recent films in the series. He actually found himself trying to understand what it was about this Godzilla design that he found so much more unsettling than previous incarnations. He believes the first thing that people gravitate towards is that vacant stare in Godzilla's eyes. It's like he never really looks at anything, simply through it. Or maybe it's because we relate more to forward eyes that most predatory animals have. Justin found himself struggling to think of another predatory animal that had this type of wall-eyed look other than a shark. He loves the concept and future potential of Godzilla constantly evolving or healing. It gives him hope that this means Godzilla may continue to change should the series continue. He will admit going in that he was already very familiar with the works of Hideaki Anno. Evangelion is practically as much of a requirement for any anime fan as Monster Zero is for a kaiju fan. He was not disappointed and loved Anno's camera work. These were easily the most dynamic shot military sequences of any kaiju film he's ever seen. And just like another one of Gainax's series, FLCL, this was the only other Japanese media he's ever struggled so hard to keep pace with for the on-screen subtitles. He seriously believes that there was a total of five minutes in this two-hour film that did not have dialogue on the screen. The Japanese subcontext in this film is just as important, if not the most important part of this film. There is so much imagery in this film from Fukushima that a general Western fan wouldn't pick up on. He highly recommends taking a look at the review of the film from Gaijin Goomba on YouTube, who delves into many of these tropes. Personally, he completely missed the reference to Godzilla's napalm fire to the firebombs of World War II or the concepts around Japan's use of nuclear energy and Godzilla being something we have to learn to live with. Overall, he gives this 8.5 out of 10 stars. One of the things Ben enjoyed seeing a lot in Shin Godzilla was the inclusion of the United States in the plotline, and in much more meaningful ways than other Japanese-produced Godzilla films. The post-war relationship between our two countries remains quite complex, and it was an interesting dynamic to portray, and one Ben doesn't think the average American in 2016 has much of a grasp on. Additionally, Ben thought it fitting to see our military involved in similar ways. This was because part of that complex relationship mentioned earlier involved both a mandate of our armed stewardship of Japan, as well as the stationing of tens of thousands of U.S. military personnel on Japanese soil. And so seeing our armed forces' participation in the two anti-Godzilla operations made sense and was a neat touch. 
Overall, Ben thought much of this political and military consideration helped ground Shin Godzilla in reality and was one of the many, many factors he thinks made this film a standout. Oh my gosh, you guys. Well done. And there you go. There's our discussion for Shin Godzilla. I did actually have a really good time reading all of those. I know it seemed like a slog, but uh, a lot of you made some really valid points. So I hope you're really going to enjoy the next segment that we have for this particular discussion. Before we do that, however, I thought it'd be cool for us to take a little break and listen to a track, not from Shin Godzilla, but the original track from Neon Genesis Evangelion. This is Decisive Battle by Shiro Sagisu. Okay, while that may have finished up our discussion portion of the actual coverage of Shin Godzilla, there is one more segment of this show that I wanted to share with the listeners. A couple of weeks ago, I talked with some friends right after seeing the movie. We had a video chat, and uh, one of the guys involved in that chat is our next guest on the podcast. He runs a website called MyKaiju.com, and it's a really great website. I definitely suggest you check it out, uh, maybe follow them on Facebook. But in addition to an article that John has on his website called How to Watch Shin Godzilla, he had some really insightful things to say about the film, some things that I had never even really thought of or considered. So, without further ado, John Ruffin, welcome to the KaijuCast. Awesome. Thank you, Cole. Now, John, you wrote a very compelling uh, argument for this movie and for learning more about what 
went into this movie, not from a filmmaking perspective, but from a social political sort of environment, uh, specifically about 311, the whole Fukushima tsunami catastrophe, literally catastrophe that happened to Japan several years ago. And I really just wanted to talk to you a little bit about this movie and find out what you think is really kind of making Anno tick with this film and like what he's trying to convey to the audiences with sort of this multi-layered approach for his filmmaking in Shin Godzilla. That sounds good. So, you know, uh, Shin Go- uh, Godzilla was a film that I was actually hoping for. Uh, I've been wanting to see something like this. Um, something that would go back to the roots of uh, the original 1954 classic. And after seeing it, you know, and coming out of the theater, I was like, wow, this, this, it, it, it took me a moment to realize what I had just seen. And, and now having seen it seven times, uh, just things uh, more uh, sit with me, even I'm more sure of. And what I come away with is just a respect for the layered complexity of the film that shouldn't be missed or overlooked um, because this is doing something new, but also something old. And one of the layers in the film that uh, my Japanese is not bad. I'm a reader and I'm not very good at speaking as I should be in my conversation, but uh, I saw the movie three times in Japanese. And each time it, um, my impression got deeper. But about three days after seeing it for the last time and having the music really stood out and just like, wow, this is just profound. And I had the soundtrack in hand and I opened up the booklet and I just started reading the lyrics. And it was when I got home, maybe uh, three weeks later, it just dawned on me that the soundtrack um, is really a it's, it's it's a backdrop or a filter through which to see the whole, to understand the film. And my Japanese, I couldn't read it here, uh, interpret all the Japanese that was coming across as heavy in dialogue. And even my Japanese friends said, um, Japanese even had difficulty understanding it because of the words. Some of the words are technical, I guess, or military words, terms and things they don't normally use. But with that said, what I was lacking in my Japanese comprehension was made up for in just listening and hearing the lyrics of uh, that are in five of the tracks. And I think if someone comes away from the film not understanding how to understand it or follow it, they can go to the soundtrack or listen to that during the movie, listen to the chorus as a chorus you know, functions to basically tell you what's going on and interpret the film. These five tracks, uh, one of the first was Persecution of the Mass, of the Masses, uh, Black Angels, Defeat is No Option, Who Will Know, and under a burning sky and the powerful lyrics tell the story and real, will deeply resonate. And what I found intriguing about them is that they not only fit the new movie, but also connect so well with 1954 and with, I believe what the Japanese uh, and even myself, unfortunately I was uh, in Japan on uh, three eleven. Uh, experienced and uh, and how Godzilla is a powerful metaphor for the uh, earthquake, tsunami, Fukushima disaster on 3-11-2011 and this sense of hopelessness and waiting for the Japanese government to, you know, perform but to find out there were things going on that were covered up. It just comes through the film in such a powerful way but also in a layered way not only in the performances on screen and the way the movie is shot, but in the, in the powerful lyrics of those five tracks. 
Uh, much more could be said about that. Um, I don't know how much you want me to go into that at the moment, though. Well, let's talk about you being in Japan during this catastrophe. As far as my circle of friends go, you're the only guy I know that was there and has sort of reported on that in relation to Shin Godzilla's plot. Like, the things that we see on screen in this film, they obviously have a very strong connection to the destruction that was shown worldwide on the news from from the, uh, the tsunami. Yes, indeed. Uh Seeing the first time when I saw it, wow, I had a very emotional response that almost brought me to tears because the, the parallels were so striking. And the, the, some of the details in the film just just connect so powerfully to that day. Uh, I was in, had been in Japan for three months. I was three weeks away from going home, and it was three days after my birthday. I actually was teaching in Japan over the last seven, eight years. And I would go about three months at a, uh, at a time. And so I was, that was the first time I was there for th- three months. And I was just the students, we lived together, we did everything together. And we were having our teachers meeting, the students were in another room. And about 2.45, the room started to shake. And so we got up, went to get the students to leave the building. And the chandeliers were just going all over the place. And where our building was situated, it sits on stilts, hanging off of a mountain overlooking Mount Asama, which is an active volcano in Japan. And we're quite high uh, above sea level. In fact, we can look down on the clouds uh, as it's raining or, you know, during the day. And so we get out and, you know, we come back in after the earthquake and about maybe not even an hour afterward, we're looking, watching television and we start to see the tsunami waves, you know, coming in in Sendai and everyone's crying. I mean, it's just a terribly emotional event. Uh, One of my students didn't hear from his family. Uh, who, were, who lived in Sendai for about two to three days. We were on edge just waiting to hear from them. And, uh, and then the following day when the Fukushima uh, event began, uh, I'm actually a junior chemist and actually work with low-grade radioactive isotopes as an intern at DuPont, very familiar with radiation and things like that. And, oh, man, I, I wanted to flip out. My family wanted me to take a flight home. My brother was trying to get me home as quick as possible, but I wanted to stick it out with the students. We were in this all together, you know, just bonded. And just going through that, that very emotional time and, you know, watching the one of the, the, the reactors explode, knowing we were getting radiation. We were watching the levels go up, come to find out uh, Karuizawa had hot spots. And so one I've reflected on that day a few years ago on a blog, which I said, you know, that was the day that I met Godzilla, and I always have a little bit of Godzilla inside of me, mm-hmm. and it stuck with me. And when I saw Shin Gojira, it was like, wow, watching the man run up the street in the water, you know, and the boats being pushed by uh, Godzilla uh, behind him, it was just like, wow, this is this is tsunami. This is, and then, uh, you know, when Shin Gojira gets into the middle of Tokyo, I'm like, oh, this is Fukushima. This is a nuclear power plant, you know, uh, power plant. It's Daiichi, and here's a, a meltdown. And why is he firing, you know, these beams all over the place? What's well, typical of a meltdown? Radiation is almost indiscriminate and going up everywhere. And in the movie, this tsunami and earthquake is actually compared to Godzilla. So there's, an, uh, there's a number of points of Correspondence. Even when they send the drone in to take a video of Shin Godzilla and it breaks down, well, that's what they've been doing at the Fukushima plant. It takes two years to build these drones, and then every time they send it in, in about 12 minutes, it breaks down. And the, uh, Fukushima, they built an ice wall 
almost a year or so ago, and I don't think it's done well at all, to freeze the water that's leaking out or to contain it, uh, the sweeping out of the plant. Well, that corresponds to the freezing operation for Shin Godzilla. And there's so many other points of correspondence that I would recommend someone to go watch some of that horrific, unfortunately horrific footage from 311 and, and then go see the movie and understand that I think for the Japanese it was a way of, through a metaphor, reliving those horrible moments, that horrible day and period of time in uh, Japanese history, which is only five years removed now. And um, Godzilla has a new meaning, but not a meaning that's far from 1954. So for the listeners out there, John on this article actually posted a video that's sort of a compilation of footage from 311. But the kicker is that it's actually set to Shin Godzilla's soundtrack, and it's haunting, very haunting. It is, and uh, it it reaches to the core. Um, I, I, that day kind of bonded me to Japan in a way that I, um, you know, had never been. I, you know, now as I'm, I'm thinking about something I said, actually, I had started teaching in Japan in 2008. This had been three years now when I was there in 2011, but and I was already forming a bond with my students who had come back, and and, and so that just cemented such a, a connection with Japan. And in the movie, you know. Some fans or some viewers may think the dialogue is, is heavy, too much, but that's very Japanese. This is a Japanese movie for a Japanese audience in a Japanese context that needed a very Japanese Godzilla. And the hierarchy, the structure, and the collectivistic society that Japan is, is reflected. And the difficulties with such structure, but also we also see the power of the collective working to solve a a life and death situation. This is an existential crisis that 311 brought Japan to, and the movie kind of brings it right to the fore again. Um, watching the evacuation of Tokyo kind of uh, goes back to when they wanted to, they, they, there was a possibility of evacuating Tokyo on 311, and watching them all, seeing all the buses go up the highway, well, trying to move up the highway. Um, it's just like, wow, what that day would have been like if they had to evacuate Tokyo. So there's so much there to appreciate, and all the dialogue kind of makes somewhat fun of the, the government that fumbled those opening days and hours where there were meltdowns. And I don't want to put the complete blame on the government. There was also a big problem with uh, TEPCO, which ran at the power plant. People can read about those details. But the fumbling by the prime minister and the fallout that was as a result. And it's right there in the movie. But then the hope when this small group of very, uh, how can I, best word to use to describe that group, scapegoats, outsiders, kind of the, the on the margins of what maybe is expected of someone that's a part of a group. They come together as a band of misfits to solve the problem without resorting necessarily to the power of the military, which had failed to bring Godzilla down. You know, it was their collective will and desire for their country to see themselves through this existential crisis, which persists because Godzilla's still there. And one powerful line is that, you know, we have to learn to live with Godzilla. And that's the profound truth of Fukushima and some of the trouble we make for ourselves. We have to learn to live with it. That's one aspect of the movie that resonates deeply with me. It's 311. There's others, but that's a very important part of the context. For understanding the movie. Yeah. Would you think that Godzilla, or specifically Shin Godzilla, gives the Japanese populace sort of an answer that they didn't get 
to the questions that were raised during the events of 311? In some way, I, I think so. I think what I felt being in Japan for the years that I had the privilege of being there is the power of the group, but also the power that the struggle of an individual who has to critique, who dare stand out and critique the dysfunctionality of the group. And I think the metaphor of Godzilla allows a conversation about the problems without shaming anyone directly, even though the movie does that toward the government in some ways. Uh, I think even uh, Prime Minister Abe recently said when asked about Shin Godzilla that he said, uh, uh, maybe I expect to die soon. I think it's joking because the Prime Minister dies in Shin Godzilla. But I think it does allow conversation indirectly, which I think in public you wouldn't directly talk about it. But I know in private, the criticism toward the government is there or would be there. And it makes me think about, you know, a sensitive topic in our own context with Katrina. You know, how would we reflect on that when we make a movie, you know, that's a Godzilla movie? What, what would that look like if it was centered around Katrina? So I do think it allows conversation and criticism without directly doing that. I don't know what Ano and uh, Shinji Higuchi wanted to ultimately do, but they, they made that. I think they made that clear. And I think it does allow for a conversation amongst the Japanese about it. It at least brings those things to the fore. What are we going to do in the future? How are we going to deal with this? Because Fukushima is still a real, very real problem. Oh, yeah. It has not gone away. And I think that's the power of Godzilla there at the end in the middle of Tokyo. You know, they may have to resume the countdown to thermonuclear war because there were plans to maybe try to bury Fukushima, you know, bury the, the reactor underneath debris, you know, like Chernobyl or something like that. So those themes run through. But there's hope in young people. And I can see that with my students who work together to do their projects, to take on challenges. And, and that's what that's, I think that's part I love about Japanese culture and all collectivistic societies, that they, you know, the group is strong and they work together to get things done in ways that sometimes being alone just can't do. So the impact that this movie has had on Japan is pretty, I'd say it's pretty apparent, at least to you and I. What kind of impact do you think this movie has had on American audiences, especially American Godzilla fans? I think it's been mixed. I think the majority of Godzilla fans appreciate the movie. And I really, I didn't get the sense that those who are non-Godzilla fans have appreciated the movie. It is a real Godzilla. Godzilla were real. This is probably the closest we've got to such a presentation. And I think it's difficult for fans who came in with preconceived ideas. This is a different Godzilla, but not that different from the original. I, but I, I think at least 60 to 70% of Godzilla fans like it and give it a good rating. I love it. I, I, for me, it's it's the best. It's the crown. Yeah, the yeah. crowning achievement of Toho's Godzilla filmmaking. I think so. 54 is always the, you know, nothing beats 54, but for me, Shin Godzilla is number two. Shin Godzilla is a pretty good call and response to the 1954 film. Uh, I think so. And it had to have the complexity that it had to achieve what 54 did. It needed to show the inside. We don't get the deliberation that goes on in the inside when the military is planning a, a, an attack. We don't get to see, we don't, in the typical Godzilla films, we, that gets away from those debates about, you know, are we going to destroy Tokyo or allow Tokyo to be destroyed? Well, it's being destroyed. Do we unleash something again that threatens Tokyo or Japanese society again? Or what do we do with these existential threats? So it does that in a way uniquely again. So you had a pretty cool theory about the stages of Godzilla. 
in Shin Godzilla right. and how that relates to the catastrophe of 311. Yeah, I think it's clear that uh, his development is like the development on 311, moving from the earthquake to the tsunami to the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant meltdown. Japan, if any country is prepared for an earthquake, Japan is. That earthquake was the most powerful to hit them, close to a 9.0. I mean, it was it was horrible, and the death toll was is, is horrible. Not only earthquake, that, but the tsunami was even more devastating, and it got worse as it goes. And it went from more of a local, not local, but you know, the threat. The tsunami took you know the coast. It didn't threaten all of Japan, but Fukushima does, and not only Japan, but the world. So you get this slow progression that we saw with well, 311 we get in the movie as well. And But also, there's a deeper truth in the movie, another layer that started with uh, Goro Maki, the professor. His story needs to be explored in his work and his dilemma with nuclear radiation and then what happened to his wife. And he says, do as you please. He leaves written on the envelope with his notes. And he reminds me of Dr. Sarazawa from 1954. And where you end at the end of the film with Godzilla frozen in Tokyo and what comes out of his tail. And to be honest with you, something that often goes unseen and needs to be really thought through, monsters are really something that men make, that we make. Monsters really turn out to be really, truly men in suits. And the truth of the matter is, and Godzilla shows it, we make them. And that we're faced with the, this part of ourselves that is most uncomfortable. And Shin Gojira does that in, in a very provocative way uh, that might be easily missed, but you have to look at how, how the movie begins and where it ends and how all that happened and look at the backstory of Maki. And you can put some of the pieces together and look at the lyrics. And even Shin Gojira, who's in the, at the height of the film, in the middle of Tokyo, who's unleashing his radiation and destruction like Fukushima and the lyrics from who will know tragedy, you know, and put those words in the mouth of Shin Godzilla, who in just as an animal, just moving through in a sense. I mean, it's being, it doesn't realize maybe what it's doing until it's attacked. So we're at fault for making such a monster with mismanaging radiation, which they took the, the planet, you know, thousands and thousands of years to put in balance. We've unbalanced, you know, and a creature eats it. You know, a human being is exposed to it and we end up with a monster of our own making. And so there's a deeper lesson to be learned about what we are doing as a collective and what we will become. Because at the end, what is that coming out of his tail? Is that the new human, hybrid human that's mixed with now this creature that is the most advanced creature on Earth evolution wise? So will we now become extinct, our, our worst fear? and is out of our control. Does Shin Godzilla actually now, is he made up of not only organisms out of the sea, but of human? Is Goromaki somewhere inside? Now fused, you know, his DNA assimilated, now contributing to Shin Godzilla. So I think whatever Anno was doing, he really got some deep things. And because of the mixture he did with Evangelion, and you look at the opening of Evangelion, and there's a secret in there, visually. And some people know it, some don't. If you, if you pick up on what's running across the screen and you bring it back to this movie and you look at this evolution of Godzilla, you almost have the origin of species. And you end up at the tip of the tail reaching into the heavens, the crown jewels, or we, we like to think is humanity. 
So yeah, a lot of fascinating. We start from the water and we end up on land and, and we end up in the heavens, under the earth, on the earth and above the earth. So it's a really deep themes. I may be reading into it a lot more than I should, but I think that's what movies allow us to do is to have fun and play. And I think it could be argued in many of the Godzilla movies jump into some deeper things that are worth uh, looking at and looking at more carefully from time to time. Well, I got to admit, man, I mean, I was already on board for analyzing Shin Godzilla. But when I spoke to you, you know, a week or so ago, you really, really sort of helped put a wedge into those cracks and open them up a little bit more so that I really started seeing a little more into those layers. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man, and sharing your thoughts. Well, it's an honor. I, I appreciate the opportunity. This is a great honor. Cool, man. So uh, if anybody wants to check it out, you can go to mykaiju.com and there's a how to watch Shin Godzilla link right there on the front page. And of course, I'll put the link in the show notes to that as well. John Ruffin, thank you so much for joining us on the Kaiju Cast today. Thank you, Colin. Thanks to Kaiju Cast. Thanks for all the great work you're doing. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, it's time to come up for air. We've got to get out of this deep dive so that we can continue the episode. Actually, there's not really much more that I want to cover. Uh, I was going to talk about some news items, but instead of actually talking about them in depth, because this is such an epically long episode of the podcast, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, the Hollywood Reporter came out with an article reporting that Toho has actually reversed their financial forecast for 2016. They had claimed earlier, you know, when they're talking to their investors and stuff, they said that they were expecting a 14% drop in profits from the previous year. But because of the success of Shin Godzilla and an anime hit named Your Name, they are actually reporting a 28% bump in their profits. So congratulations to Toho for making so much money with this Godzilla film. That's amazing. Additionally, according to the Anime News Network, Shin Godzilla has earned a total of $1,851,128 as of Saturday, October 21st, which is pretty incredible for such a limited run. According to the website, uh, October 11th through October 18th, it was shown in 440 theaters in the United States and then extended that run to uh, about 200 theaters in both Canada and the U.S., Looks like it wrapped up all its screenings on the 28th of this month, so we still have yet to find out what the final total is on that for profit, but man, well done for such a small, limited run. The final thing I wanted to say is, you know, one of the incredible things about this Godzilla resurgence, <laughs> see what I did there, is that more people are paying attention to the King of the Monsters, and that's always a good thing. In fact, there's some awesome stuff happening in Japan coming up for Godzilla's birthday on November 3rd, what are you doing out there? I know we're definitely going to watch some Godzilla movies here at the Kaiju Cast HQ. But Japan is celebrating with a lot of different events. There's a film series happening in Ikebukuro, which is in Tokyo. And uh, they're showing Godzilla 1984, Godzilla Millennium, and Shin Godzilla. And their special guests for those screenings are Sei Hiraizumi, who played the acting prime minister, who also was previously the minister of agriculture, forestry, and fisheries in Shin Godzilla, and Takahiko Murata, who actually played the hero in Godzilla 2000. I'll have a link in the show notes to that screening, just in case anybody's in Tokyo at that time and wants to go. And if you're in Kyoto on November 3rd, there's a screening of Son of Godzilla and Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 93, and they've got special guests Hiroyuki Watanabe, who played the Satsuma pilot Yutaka Hirose in GMK, and he also played Commander Akio Ishimuro in Ultraman Gaia. They're also bringing Wataru Mimura, 
as a guest who was the screenwriter from Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla in 1993. Again, I'll have a link in the show notes to those two locations for those two events. Last but not least, if you are in Tokyo for Godzilla's birthday, or actually any time in November, you have to go. This is a mandate from the KaijuCast. You have to go to the Godzilla store, opening the third in Shinjuku. I'll have a link in the show notes. I am dying to know how awesome it would be. I would love for it to be a permanent fixture in Tokyo, but it looks like it's just there for the month. If you are going to Tokyo and are planning on going to the store, get in touch with me. I'd really be interested in in seeing what they have there. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, PayPal link incoming. Uh, Anyway, you can see why I wanted to talk about all those news items and events in such a small format, because we are going to go ahead and close out the show. You're probably wondering, because I haven't mentioned it yet, we do have another movie coming up for our Daikaiju discussion. November's discussion film will be... The Magic Serpent from Toei from 1966. Now, this is a movie that I'm not sure how readily available it is, but if you find it and you want to submit your thoughts, questions, and reviews, please do so before November 25th to have your review included in the discussion episode. Well, Shin Godzilla has really taken it out of me, but I am sure in the future I'm going to be up for discussing this movie much, much more. I had so many notes on this thing. I could just, like, deep dive so hard into this movie. Actually, you know what? It'd be cool to do a commentary at some point. Maybe I'll figure that out. Maybe that'll be a commentary goal for 2017 or 18 or 25. Anyway, we are going to close out the show. If you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory and want to see what we're all about, head on over to KaijuCast.com. We have every single episode posted on the website, not to mention the Daikaiju discussion schedule, links to our friends' websites like Sci-Fi Japan, and links to our social media networks like Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, YouTube, etc., etc. Now we are going to close out the episode with one final track, and this is actually an 8-bit version of one of Sagisu's songs for Shin Godzilla. This is Persecution of the Masses. Again, found this guy on YouTube. I'll include a link in the show notes to that. Uh, We'll see you next month for another exciting episode of the KaijuCast. But until then, Jamata. 